0: Love
1: for the radio
2: We've already won. Hello, Caller, you're on the air. Thank you so much, Tori, for joining
7: me.
4: Oh, it was a pleasure. We could have done two hours, Michael, you know.
5: <laughs> One more. Okay. It's going to be me.
2: It is you, dear, Seven two seven.
5: Oh my God, I'm just kidding, I'm talking to anybody.
1: <laughs> You're know, talking to Michael. Oh my I,
2: God. I'm... Good evening everyone, it's Monday, March 21st, 2011. I'm your host, Michael Carbone, and welcome to Be The Light Now. I'm sorry if you're listening in in the chat room, you're having problems getting in. I started it a few minutes late, so that's a a number of reasons why you had problems getting in there. It's, you know, one of those days, you know, the energy, the full moon, it's been kind of crazy, but I told you we're going to have a wonderful show tonight, and it's going to be wonderful energy. I just pray to the gods of all creation that we don't have any technical issues tonight, because I told you the, the guest I'm having on right now is phenomenal. Love the energy, and uh, it's you know we're gonna be taking your calls in a few moments, and I have to go ahead and pronounce this correctly. Help me welcome to the show, Jonna Ray Bartges.
4: Bartes. Bartes. Okay, (laughs) almost. How are you, dear? I am doing great, and I'm very honored to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for blessing us with uh, your presence and all, and it's always nice to have the uh, happy medium with us.
4: <laughs> well, I, my slogan is, I see dead people, so you don't have to.
2: <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to see if uh, how many dead people want to go ahead and come in tonight.
4: Okay. Well, we don't want to have dead air, but... <laughs> oh,
2: no, that's for sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, I like it too. Is uh, about your uh, you know, first of all get to know you a little bit more, but I want to also mention about your book, psychic or psychotic, memoirs of a happy medium. Right. I love the title of that because I have a metaphysical shop uh, locally, and mm-hmm. it's at a big flea market. And they're like, "Oh, you're a psychic." I said, "No." I said, Le- "I said they did a stupid typo on my sign." I said, "It's supposed to say psycho." I said, <laughs> "Legally, I'm supposed to let like you know that I'm a psycho." I said, but they spelled it wrong. And everyone just starts laughing, you know, and they're like, oh, okay.
4: Well, I I think that's a great point because – Everyone is psychic, everyone has natural intuitive ability, and we're just not raised in our uh, society to, to acknowledge it or value it or give it any kind of credence. And something that I found out whenever I, I am discussing this with people, the easiest way to diffuse it and make it just a comfortable conversation as opposed to some kind of a confrontational or a freaky type of thing is to have people laughing about it. And uh, it, it gets us all you know on, on common ground, and it really opens up doors. And it yeah, sounds it like you, you've you found the same thing out.
2: Yeah, and it, it is fun because, uh, you know, being at the the environment that it's in, you know, we have a lot of people, you know, the woman across from us, she calls herself the crazy Avon lady and all, and there's a story behind that. And she tells everyone, she says, yeah, I'm the crazy Avon lady, and he's the psychotic psychic over there. And, and she <laughs> you know, we get along great in here, and it, it just breaks the ice a lot.
4: It does. It really does. So I, I just, um, I, because I, when people laugh, then, then they're not frightened, and um, I, I don't know if I could start with a, with a story that kind of shows how that came into play. Is, is that okay?
2: That's sure.
4: To jump into that, okay. Yeah. Um When I lived in San Diego, I was doing a reading for a couple, and. Um, in my little condo, and I heard the cat doors swing open. And then I heard my cat do her Xena princess warrior howl, which always meant that she had just killed something and brought it in for me. And I'm thinking, oh, dear, no, please, I'm in the middle of a reading. But I excused myself and went out into the kitchen, and there was this little mangled pile of brown feathers and this, you know, poor bird, you know, dead on on the white tile floor. And... um, I just picked it up, and I was cradling it in my hands, and, of course, the man and woman followed me into the kitchen, and they were horrified. There was this dead bird there, and I had it cupped in my hands, and I just did a silent little prayer and, and said, Okay, God, make me an instrument of, of your healing, and and then I said to the husband, open the front door, and he looked at me funny, and, and then he went over and opened the front door, and I walked over and opened up my hands, and the bird flew away. And what happened was the look on the couple's face was just pure terror. You know, they'd never seen anything like this, and they were absolutely freaked. And I realized I had to say something to shift the energy here, or they were going to be, you know, storming my little condo with, you know, torches and pitchforks and everything. And so I just turned to them, and I said, I have got to raise my rates. And... That was just such an inappropriate, ridiculous thing to say that they they both started laughing and that immediately diffused the tension, and then we could get back to doing the reading, and we never talked about it again. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would kind of be a little uh, like, okay, what's going on here, you know? <laughs>
4: yeah, I mean, they, they could have run screaming from the house. I mean, it could have been a, a real kind of scary thing, but instead, by, by just kind of making light of it... Um, it uh it shifted the energy just in time so
2: well good uh can you tell us a little bit more about yourself how you know like how long have you known you've had uh these abilities and uh, exactly what your abilities are
4: well, sure. Well, one thing I'm passionate about is, is helping people understand that absolutely everybody is psychic and is born with these abilities, and what happens usually is it's disciplined out of us. You know, how many times have people told you, quit daydreaming, or no, you don't have an imaginary friend, or trees aren't purple, you have to color that green. And and so gradually this, this intuitive, creative ability is, is kind of... Um, uh, put in a little box and and it is disciplined out of us and, and we learn that it's easier to just not talk about it and what happened with me the reason that i didn't stop talking about it was when i was four i had my first astral flight that i remembered i was um i raised in allentown pennsylvania and my dad was a school teacher my mom was a homemaker i had an older and a younger brother i mean a very typical uh you know middle class american family and um we just didn't talk about anything like this I mean this just was not you know something that could happen so anyway I was four years old I had my first astral flight that I consciously remembered and I floated down into the kitchen from my my bedroom and I saw my mom and dad sitting there at the table and talking and and I was calling out to them and they didn't see me they didn't acknowledge me as I was floating above them and then I floated back into my, into my body and then I came running down the stairs my little Dr. Denton's and, and I said I was just in here and I was floating up there I was flying over you and you didn't see me and and they said oh you have such a great imagination that never happened and and i was just standing there thinking i yes, it did and you know how most people have that split from their parents when they realize their parents don't really know everything when they're in their teens well i was four (laughs) and and the reason that i didn't just believe them and and turn it off was Starting that night in my dreams, I was standing on one end of the clothesline in my dreams, and and these very kind beings were saying to me, come on, you can do it, and I flew to the other side of the clothesline. And then they said, oh, that's great, and I'll turn around and come back. And so from when I was a toddler, really, I was being taught uh, how to use these intuitive abilities so I knew that they were real, and I I didn't shut them down. So um, then when I was about... Oh, I guess ten, eleven, twelve. I started discovering like Edgar Casey and the set materials and um A course in miracles and and just I devoured all these books, and I was thrilled to find out that I wasn't the only person in the world that was going through this type of stuff so um that was just like catnip for me. I just read book after book of these things, and when I went away to college. Uh, I went to school on a journalism scholarship. Uh, that's when I really was able to start working with disability and seeing what it was. And, and I would do things like levitate tables at frat parties. And um, I did an independent study with a faculty advisor where he would bring sick people into his office and stand there with a the stopwatch. and And I would... Do energy healing on them, and like bruises would disappear and uh and one cheerleader's pulled hamstring was healed instantly and and so there's a documented study of this at at Ryder College in uh Trenton, New Jersey <laughs> of this but um it wasn't until I was twenty four and at that point, I was a newspaper editor at the Allentown Morning Call in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And because I had grown up with this but hadn't really been able to talk about it that much, by the time I was 24 I realized, okay, I need to find out if I'm psychic or psychotic. That's where the, that book came from. And so that's when I decided if I'm ever going to really find out what's going on, I should do it now, you know, when I'm in my my twenties and and just explore this. So I quit my perfectly respectable newspaper job, and my family was afraid I'd become a Mooney, but it was like my my spiritual quest, and it turned out to be uh, a two year adventure of going to different light centers up and down the East Coast, and and really finding out what I had and and realizing, yeah, this is real. And uh, I became certified as a clairvoyant, and clairaudient. I uh, became ordained. I was doing some work in hospitals with doctors and people's tumors were shrinking and things like that. And it was a fantastic time of exploration and self-discovery and and realizing that a lot of people who were in this field were kind of not the real thing. And I was able to spot that pretty quickly with people. But I also realized that for me, um, you know, yeah, it's real. And at one point i uh, met jim gore who was a retired uh, atomic physicist he had been in the navy and he uh, had his his spiritual uh, conversion really when he saw that as the atom was split it was pure light and that's when he realized that light was at the basis of everything and i met him when i was doing readings for the uh, spiritual frontiers fellowship organization it was a national group of like ministers and doctors and um, psychics and and lay people and they all got together to kind of explore what was going on in in all these different worlds and how all these worlds combined and i was doing psychic readings for this national group i met jim gore there and he invited me to come be the resident psychic at the light center that he was building in black mountain north carolina so i ended up here and um was doing work with him and uh what happened was people started to come for readings like every single week and i began to feel uncomfortable because um, I, I knew that everybody could do this and so in deep meditation in the in the dome that um, that is where the light center is, is located i was doing this deep prayer one night and, and i was saying okay god Anybody can do what I'm doing. I don't want to be a guru. Everybody, everybody can do this. And then this voice literally said to me, so teach them how. And then I said, okay, how do I do that? And I was given the steps, you know, step one, step two, step three, for how to help people connect to their own intuitive ability. And uh, that was in 1979, and since then I've been uh, teaching that and also combining uh, real world jobs with um, using spiritual ability. And uh, shortly after I got that dream, I was told in meditation to leave the Light Center and teach my truth by by living it and get back into the real world. So I became an executive news producer at the ABC affiliate here in Asheville, North Carolina, and um, I would uh, know what what was going to be happening kind of I, I would leave spaces on on the show outline the news director would come over and say well what's what's going in that third slot and i would say well i don't know but it's going to happen around eight thirty tonight and, and something would and it would go in that slot and um from there I I wanted to get into news promotion after being here for three years in North Carolina. This was back in the um, early 80s then at that point. And so I went to the CBS affiliate in Miami, uh, Florida, and I started winning Emmy Awards because I would be producing what I would see in dreams because it's always been important to me to combine spiritual ability, intuitive ability, with what's going on in the real world. And that's a lot of what I like to teach people and share with people too. And uh, eventually, Disneyland took me out to California because um, they were looking for someone who had TV news experience to run broadcast publicity, and that's when um, Walt Disney started showing up in my dreams and telling me what marketing should be doing at uh, at Disneyland. And uh, from there, SeaWorld hired me away from Disney, and I literally talked to to the whales and the dolphins, and um, it's... Uh, does that give you kind of an idea of combining like the spiritual and the scientific and all that good stuff?
2: So you've been, you've been busy.
4: Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I think at the core of everything is, is just really letting people know that this is a, a natural ability that everyone has and, and helping people tap into it. My friends are, are my closest friends really are like psychologists and, and um, quantum physicists and, um, people who are very much into um, uh, spirituality and religion and um, it's it's very exciting to be here at this particular time in the history of the planet and see how these things are converging like uh, the Dr. Oz show uh, last week just had John Edwards on and uh, the theme of that segment was are psychic mediums becoming the new therapists and it's fascinating to see how the things that we've believed and talked about and the things that we care about are are becoming more mainstream during our lifetime. And it is absolutely fascinating to be here now.
2: It is. I'm, I'm beginning to love Dr. Oz more and more each week. because um, Being that I have a metaphysical shop, I have uh, like over 150 organic herbs and about 50 different herbal teas and tea blends. Mm-hmm. And every week I've got someone coming in and it's like, oh, Dr. Oz was talking about this herb. Do you happen to have it? I can't find it anywhere. And he's telling... And I'm like, you know, I just love this. And he's talking about, you know, natural treatments and everything. And people are coming in looking for it.
4: Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, Yeah. And... uh, Uh, One segment, he even shared how his wife was a Reiki master, and he's had Reiki masters in his operating room sometimes. And uh, Pamela Miles, who is a a brilliant Reiki master, who does a lot of work trying to bring medical doctors into an awareness of how Reiki um, can be used in a very traditional setting, was even on his show demonstrating Reiki live. So I'm I'm with you. I, I think he totally rocks.
2: Yeah, so it's uh, and it's great that, uh, you know, he's opening it all up to um, letting people know because so many people trust him and like him
1: mm-hmm. that
2: when he talks about this, they're like, well, it can't be all that bad. Then Dr. Oz, you know, is in favor of it and likes this.
4: Exactly, exactly, and and it's funny because I will watch his show, and then I will be co- going to my local health food store here in Asheville, <laughs> saying, "Okay, Dr. Oz is talking about this. Do you have this here?" <laughs> and they, I suggested that they just start a, a little corner of the store where it's Dr. Oz recommends, and then they have all these different things listed there and and available to shoppers because, um, just like you're finding out, people are certainly going to want that.
2: Yep, so. and you know, and it's great, and I, you know, at first I'm like. Okay, I gotta check out Doctor Oz here and you know, he's really uh, been amazing and he's uh changing the way a lot of people think.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well um another story I'd love to share that ties in with what Doctor Oz was talking about last week, uh, when he was saying our psychic medium's the new therapist and he had John Edward on and um he was talking about the fact that sometimes medical doctors can't help people with grief when they lose someone the way that a psychic medium can, because we can sometimes provide proof that their loved one hasn't just you know, ceased to exist once they die. And I had uh, this kind of experience several years ago when a doctor contacted me, and uh, this is someone I didn't know, and he was dealing with a woman whose teenage son had committed suicide a year and a half previously, and she had other children, but she had become so wrapped up in her grief nothing was working no no antidepressants no kind of counseling nothing at all and this woman really was not functional anymore and as a last result this doctor called me and said well i i heard about you and i wondered if you might be able to help my my patient in some way and um i i I'm a minister, and, and I, I made a vow to be of service to humanity, and and so I I agreed, and this was very unusual because I was going to be doing a reading for someone that I had never spoken to, you know, even over the phone, but um, after I talked to the doctor and uh, got the, the name of the, the woman that he was concerned about, I went into a, a deep meditation, and the way that I meditate is uh, really it's quantum physics. It's doing an entanglement on the universal field, it's changing our brainwaves from um, just the the um, beta level, where we're talking now, into an al- uh, through an alpha level where you're in relaxation, up into a theta level where it's deep relaxation, because that's where uh, creativity and, and musical ability and, and psychic ability all reside. And it's so easy to access that by just taking a couple deep breaths and and. You know, relaxing. And I call it going up when I do that. And um, what I did was went up and I just said, okay, God, please show me what this woman needs to know. And immediately I saw a good-looking young man with dark hair and glasses. He was wearing a leather jacket. I could tell that he was a uh, an athlete in um, several different sports. And when he saw me looking at him, he he suddenly started telling me things. He showed me this large, light-colored dog that was with him. He said that he didn't mean to take his life. It was an accident. He was head over heels over this girl and was really just trying to get her attention and, and not take his life, and it, it went too far. And he deeply regretted what had happened. And um, he was especially concerned for his mother and said that, he had his letter jacket over the chair in his room and she would go into his room and put on the letter jacket and that would let him hug her you know in in like a physical sense and um he, he said that he was in a good place now but he he was so sad for how it was impacting his mother and he really wanted her to be able to move through her grief and um as i was typing these things down as i was seeing this movie playing in my mind it was a very emotional thing and so i typed it all up and before i hit the send button to send it to this man's mother i really had to stop and think because like with medical doctors you know we we don't want to do any harm and and i was thinking this woman is already in a very precarious emotional state might this be something that would push her over over the edge but um the message that i got was no you need to send this and so i sent it and then i just sat there and stared at the screen waiting to see what was going to happen and and nothing happened for an hour and so i uh just you know turned off the computer and went to bed and prayed hard that everything would be okay and the next morning sure enough there was a response from this woman and i was very nervous and i opened up the email and uh her first sentence was, I haven't stopped crying since I, I read your note. And I was just thinking, oh, dear God, please, you know, don't let it be a bad crying. And as I continued to read, she said, everything that you said actually happened. The the, the dog that was with him was the coll- his collie that was hit by a car right before he died. And um, he had dark hair and he wore contact lenses when he wasn't wearing his glasses. And I do put on his leather jacket that's over the chair in his room and I feel him hugging me. And what happened with all of this was I had enough, you know, very specific hits for the woman to realize that her son didn't just cease to exist when he died. And what happened was I was able to move her out of just this paralyzing grief that she was in into a state where she could begin to respond to more traditional methods of counseling, you know, like like antidepressants then at that point and, and, um, Talking to uh, a, a regular grief counselor, and she was able to come back into um, being functional and, and being there for her children and living her life again. And um, it was such an honor to have been contacted by the doctor in the first place, and then to have been able to been a, to have been a bridge for this woman, um, and and using the natural intuitive ability that everyone has to to help her make that kind of a a reconnection to her son and it was um, a very significant thing for me to have been able to help like that well
2: it seems like you've been able to help out um in a lot of ways because um in your book uh psychic or psychotic memories of a happy medium like we've been talking about um you mention about your late husband's end of life experience and how that changed national hospice guidelines
4: yes yes and um well, what happened? I guess I should mention that I died uh, 22 years ago. I was in uh, a very unhappy marriage at the time, and uh, very far off my spiritual path. And um, my my ex, you know, ridiculed my intuitive ability. So I just pretty much kept it under wraps. And and when we sign up to do a mission, we kind of have to do that mission. So this was not really working for me. And uh, I had this very intense dream. And in the dream, I was told that I was going to have a choice to live or die, and to not be frightened. And uh, I got awake and I thought, well, that was real intense, that meant something, and and then I promptly forgot all about it. And then two mornings later, I got awake with a splitting headache, and and then I realized I couldn't move my legs, and then I realized I was having trouble breathing. And then I remembered, oh, this is that dream, I could die if I wanted to. And um, I was having a brain aneurysm. And so... I was able to call the secretary at work because I wasn't frightened since I'd had that dream. I knew that I was in charge. I got to decide if I was going to go or not, and I was able to tell her where uh, we hid the key to the house so the paramedics didn't have to ax down the door. And I stayed in my body until the paramedics got there, and as I heard them coming into the house, uh, I left, and I floated out of my body, and I died. I flatlined. I had no pulse. I was dead. And what that experience did for me was that proved to me things that I had intuitively felt um, ever since I was a youngster, because I grew up seeing spirit visitors in my family's um, house that was built in the 1750s. So I knew that when people died, they didn't really go anywhere necessarily. They uh, were all here together. You know, we're just on different dimensions. And so I was able to actually experience that myself and, um, I made the choice to come back and continue living my life. And um, so uh, shortly after that, I uh, got hired by Disneyland to come out and and run their broadcast publicity department. And that's where I met my wonderful husband, the new husband, the good one, the keeper. And and we had a deeply karmic uh, agreement because when I met him, I was, from when I first met him, on our first date, we knew that we were going to end up married. I was always telling him to put sunblock on his lips. I was, uh, I never took his name when we married, and I never put him as a beneficiary on any of my papers or anything. And he thought that was a little odd, but we just never really dwelled on it. And after 10 years of just being blissfully married, uh, with him working at Disneyland every day of his life, and uh, me working at Disneyland, and then, um, Sea World. Um, uh, this little bump showed up on his lip, and uh, I said to his doctor, "Could this be cancer?" And the doctor kind of ridiculed the whole thing and said, "No, no, no. That, he just bit his lip. That's a little blood blister. That's nothing." And uh, and of course, it was the cancer that I had kind of intuitively known about from when I first met him, and um, it did metastasize before the doctor finally decided to remove the. He said it was just a little cyst, and then when he did remove the cyst. He discovered that it was spiral cell, or actually metastasized melanoma at that point, and uh, it had metastasized, and um, that was, you know, a death sentence really for my for my husband. And uh, instead of him feeling like he was a victim, he decided that he wanted to make his life count for something, and the really big spiritual karmic connection that we had, because I had met him coming from a marriage where everything that I did in a spiritual sense was ridiculed, when I met Paul, what he did was he really encouraged my spiritual work even though I was um, holding relatively normal jobs you know, as far as like uh, doing broadcast publicity at Disneyland and, and stuff like that Um I was also doing readings and doing workshops, and Paul could see that I was happiest when I was uh, in that spiritual element. And so he really taught me how to live, being able to be more open about what I was doing in a spiritual sense. And then when we realized that that bump on his lip was metastasized melanoma and that he was going to die from that, I was able to help him die in a very um, spiritually together and um sacred way. And it wasn't a thing where Paul became a victim at all. It's like when I had my brain aneurysm, because I've always used humor, like we were talking about. I was saying to my neurosurgeon, "Well, I know it's all in my head." And he was a little a little taken back because he never had someone who was dying from a brain aneurysm make jokes about it. So um, and and Paul was the same way as uh, he had two years from when he got the diagnosis to when he crossed over, and we were watching a Travel Channel special on the Mayan pyramids, and the narrator talked about the fact that according to the Mayan calendar, the world as we knew it was to end in 2012. And so Paul turned to me and said, "I'm just getting out while the getting's good." <laughs> so he had that that same kind of bizarre sense of humor, but. Um, what happened was as we were getting near the end time and the um the melanoma spread and pretty much took paul's face and it was making it more difficult for him to to breathe he couldn't eat anymore and he was realizing that he was getting near the end time um we we found a uh an article in Newsweek magazine that talked about the fact that, according to a Supreme Court decision from 1997, anyone who is terminally ill and in constant pain has the legal right to have any doctor in the country, any licensed physician, prescribe sedatives to them. Uh, and assuming that the person has done an advanced directives, these sedatives can be prescribed to the point of inducing unconsciousness so the person's body can just naturally shut down. And um, this is not a Kevorkian thing. This isn't giving the person any kind of a drug that's going to cause the end of their life. This is just allowing their body to just naturally shut down in a pain-free state. And um, so Paul and I, well, I I discovered this article in Newsweek, and Paul and I discussed it with uh, the hospice workers who were, were working with him in his final months. And we were told, yes, absolutely, this is an option, and this is what we um, decided that we were going to do, and uh Paul wanted to continue to live as long as he could and um I had asked in in prayer to know when it we were getting close to his final time because he was wondering well how long do I have what's going on and when he started to excuse me physically resemble what I had seen in the visions, and I let him know um, he um was. Was totally emotionally prepared for for being ready to go, especially because we had found this article about legally what his rights were. We had talked to attorneys about this. My brother was an attorney, as uh, was uh, Paul's sister, and um, they said, "Yes, this this is um, the law in the country." We talked to psychologists and grief counselors, and and uh, this was a decision that that took two years really for us to. Um, really consider and and study and and realize this is the option that we wanted to do. And uh, Paul wanted to stay his life as long as he possibly could, as long as it it worked. But the deciding thing came one night when, um, at this point, he could not eat anymore. Uh, He was having trouble breathing because the tumors were pressing against his esophagus and his windpipe. And he was so um, toxic with painkillers that his body was going into spasms. And this particular night, I got awake because he was screaming. He had spasmed and punched himself in the face, and his thumb got caught in the hole in his cheek where his skin had been, and he couldn't untangle his hand. And I helped him do that, and then I held him, and we both cried, and he said, I can't do this anymore. And so the next morning, um, we, we called hospice and said that we were coming in to the the resident hospice facility in San Diego. And because Paul was able to walk into the hospice facility, um, the nurse that we were assigned didn't really understand what he was going through, you know, that he was in the constant pain, that um he had been existing pretty much on, you know, sheer will up until that point when he realized that he just couldn't do this any longer. And according to what the medical director of hospice had uh had prescribed for him he was going to receive um a new dose of uh versed you know this this very strong sedative and painkiller every half hour until he gently slipped into an unconscious state and then he would uh, his body would just very gently and naturally shut down on its own volition and um what happened was because paul had walked in the nurse didn't really believe that uh, his situation was as dire as it truly was. And so she gave him his first dose of Versed. And at this point, Paul was still very, very much, um, you know, conscious and in a very positive state. He looked at the CDs that were in his hospice room, and he pulled out a Perico CD. And he uh, said to the nurse, you know, I'm not dead yet. And his hospice social worker was laughing uh as as was I I mean that that was his intent to make us laugh with what he was saying but the the nurse there just didn't understand his sense of humor and um, after she had given him the first injection of the sedative she disappeared and she was supposed to come back in half an hour but half an hour passed and an hour and an hour and a half and finally I went to find her and she was at the nurse's station and when I asked her why she hadn't been back she just said to me I'm not going to help you kill your husband and Had I not had the spiritual strength that I did and the knowing that this was absolutely, you know, the the sacred thing that was supposed to be happening, um, I don't know how emotionally I would have handled that, you know, the nurse kind of attacking me and uh, the nurse unilaterally overturning the doctor's orders. And so what happened then was I just went back to his room and uh, crawled in bed with him and held him and just kept the energy in the room very sacred and positive and um, kept that nurse out of the room uh, until there was a shift change. And then at that point, then the doctor's orders were put into effect. He he got the other injections because he had been kind of shifting in and out of consciousness um, during this time waiting for the shift change and what happened then from that point on um the doctor was very distressed that the nurse had not followed the orders and uh that uh, and the doctor was also on the hospice national um ethical committee for uh patient treatment and w- the guidelines were changed because from that point on all hospice workers had to receive instruction in the fact that this this was the law and if they had any type of um, issue with that, uh, and they didn't agree with the doctor's orders, then they had uh, a responsibility to remove themselves from the uh, that particular case, and um, and not work with that patient or that patient's family. And the doctor wrote a a beautiful. Um, sidebar to an, an article that hospice asked me to write for their national magazine after my husband's crossing. And the doctor said that hospice owed Paul a great debt because uh, through his experience of that, they were able to fix this this loophole and make sure that no other patient and no other family would ever have an experience like that where they would kind of be uh, called on the carpet or their decision would be questioned.
2: Well, it's done, definitely, has done a um, a great service to so many, uh, because I know when my mom, uh, it's been 10 years, and she was in a nursing home uh, rehab center, mm-hmm. and um, she had uh, a lot of health issues and all, and what had happened was she had a, a sore in her leg, and because, you know, if a patient says, don't touch me, you know, they, they can't do any more treatment, mm-hmm. so She got to a point where um, her leg had turned gangrene. Oh. And she told me, um, she's like, you know, I don't want to go on like this. Mm -hmm. And she didn't let me know. She said, oh, it's okay. And the nurses didn't tell me anything. Oh, dear. And um, so I didn't know how bad it was. And I went in there. This was on a Monday. And when uh, we were talking and, um, you know, they came in and the doctor wanted to look at her leg and all. And I said, Well let them take a look at it and I got a glimpse of it and he says, You don't want to see this oh. And I got a glimpse of it and she said I don't want to I I don't want to go on anymore mm-hmm. And I said, Well, you know, I said, Well you know, we'll talk about it, we'll get you taken care of and she said, No, I, I don't want to and I had a friend of mine who was a volunteer at hospice and she said the best thing you can do for your mom shows is accept what she's wanting to do. Mm-hmm. And so that Tuesday we made, you know, um, I went and told her, I said, well, you let me know what you want. She goes, I just want to go peacefully. Mm. And she goes, I don't want to be in any pain and I don't want to suffer. Mm-hmm. And um, so we talked to the doctor and I had signed all the paperwork, of course. And um, it was almost like her mind wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And um, so they gave her morphine every um, every ha- uh, every four hours, and you know, no questions, no nothing. The nurses were there. They let me know you know if uh, anything took a turn or anything happened. And uh, so the last 24 hours, I was there with her. And I mean, they were really nice, and they were uh, they we had hospice involved, and uh, they came in and said, "Don't worry about anything. Everything's taken care of now." Mm-hmm. They said, if you want to stay here around the clock, you can. We'll have someone, you know, help you out. I mean, they were definitely a blessing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they gave me you know, literature the whole bit. And, you know, even the doctor was it was great. And uh, But they did say, you know, don't worry about it. And every four hours, like clockwork, they were there with her morphine for her. Wow. And at the very end, um, you know, they helped me through the process. And, um, you know, her eyes had rolled back at one point. And they said, well, it's only a matter of time. Do you need to call anyone? I said, no. And, um, you know, they said, well, if you need anything, let us know. And I said, well, you know, I just want to make sure she's not in pain. Mm-hmm. And at one point, uh, it was about quarter after seven in the morning, and um, I told the nurse, I said, you know, I said, I know she's due soon for another morphine. She's not for a little while, she was, but I'll go get it. And she oh. went ahead to go get it. And at that point there, I said, Uh, My other half was with me, and my mom opened up her eyes. She looked at me, and she squeezed my hand, and her eyes were not glossy, and she just smiled at me, closed her eyes, squeezed my hand, and took one last breath. And I told the nurse, you know, I told my other half, I said, tell the nurse, I said, never mind the morphine, I said, my mom's gone. And no body flinching, no nothing. She just went so peacefully.
4: What a sacred crossing. What a what a beautiful, beautiful experience.
2: Yeah, and it's been uh, April uh, 21st, well, a month from today will be um, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that was her way. She had made me promise. She goes, you know, don't let me die alone. And mm-hmm. I said, no, I'll be here with you. And to me, that was her way to, to make sure that, you know, I kept my promise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and also at that moment, they had to let me know, hey, it's okay.
4: Yeah. And and to acknowledge you, you know, that you did keep your promise and you were there for her. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. So. Yeah,
2: and it was really, um, you know, hard to, to go through, but, you know, hospice was tremendous during the whole thing. Even being in a nursing home environment, they were there with me the whole time and even afterwards. hmm
4: no, I I think they they do such incredible work. I I have the deepest respect for for how they help both the, the people who are crossing over and and those of us who are are there to try to help them. I um. I just love them. I I really try to support the work that they do.
2: Yeah, and um, you know, like I said, even afterwards, because it it normally takes I believe like three days to get through all the paperwork, mm-hmm. and the process to get in there and. Um, this was like on a Thursday we contacted them and Friday she took the turn for the worse and Saturday she died and, I, and I'm like okay she's not even fully into hospice so don't worry about it they we'll mm. take over at this point and that's when they ordered the morphine and all for her and just completely took over and even afterwards for you know months later they'd still call me up and say you know we're thinking about you we want to know if you're okay if you need anything anyone to talk to and so they were just a phenomenal group
4: mm-hmm. I think it's so wonderful for you to share your story too you know i i I think it's important that people understand that these are options that are available you know for people who are um, terminally ill and and in pain and they don't have to suffer you know that that they have options that are perfectly legal and and very sacred and um and i think that's great that you you could have that kind of support from hospice for your mom i think that's just wonderful and i i was sharing my husband's story with with a a friend and she started to cry and and i said i i'm so sorry have i offended you with this and she said no i just wish i would have known about this because her father had recently died from emphysema and what happened was um the doctors, instead of of giving him the same piece that your mom got and that my my husband got from hospice, they kept reducing his morphine uh, to to force him to keep fighting to breathe. You know, it it was a horribly painful two extra weeks that that he endured this pain because the doctors were not. Um, Allowing him to have the the general release that you know that that your mom and my husband got, and she said that she just wished that she would have known about the Supreme Court ruling and that this was an option because it could have saved her father such agony and um in his final two weeks so i I feel we have kind of a a spiritual obligation to to share our stories in that regard and and help educate people and let them know that they're there is an option. It's entirely legal, and it's it's there to really let people have a say in how they go when they are terminally ill. And I think it's it's such an important piece of information to get out there. It can help a lot of people, a lot of families.
2: Yeah, and doing the morphine like that, um, it's a different type of morphine than you normally would get for pain anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people hear oh, oh you know I'm not going to take morphine you know that's what they use to to go ahead when someone's dying and it's like no it's a different formula. So um and you know and it's uh, it's to me the most humane way to help someone with the end of life cuz it gradually slows down the breathing.
4: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh and it... go ahead.
4: And, and I was going to say and it's completely pain-free and it it just lets their body naturally shut down.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, it truly is uh, amazing, and especially being there. And, you know, and and my listeners have heard it before, but the following day when I went to go to sign the paperwork at the funeral home, I wanted to listen to a CD, and it it was a five-disc changer. And no matter what song I wanted to play, it would pick up this one CD and start playing the song. And I was like, okay, evidently, you know, and I was so out of it at the time, and um, because I was going through a depression, and they had me on Paxil, and I was totally numb to everything. I couldn't Mm. even mourn for my mom. um, But I was like, all right, you know. So evidently, my mother has a message for me. Mm -hmm. And we let the song play. It was the old disco song, I Will Survive. (laughs) And let the song play, and then I said, okay, now you can go ahead and we'll listen to any CD we want to. It'll work, and it did. Mm Mm-hmm. And I had you know, other people try it in the house, and they're like, this is weird. It's like it won't play anything but that song. I said, no, we've got to listen to it then. Uh-huh. And after that, and it's been 10 years, and the, and the player still works and has never done that again.
4: I think that is the coolest thing. I know for the first three days after my husband died, you know, he had worked at Disneyland his whole life. For the first three days after his death, when I would turn on the television in the morning, it would be on the Disney Channel. And there is no way. And I'd been watching the news the night before when I turned off the television. So it's very easy for people who have crossed over to communicate. Uh, with us through electrical devices, you know, whether it's what you were talking about with your mom sharing that song with you or my husband putting the the TV on the Disney Channel or lights flickering. A lot of people experience that. That's a very easy way for them to be able to connect with us. Uh, one friend, a Cherokee friend of mine, uh, lost her husband, and um, his image has shown up on uh, her television set like it the picture would just go to snow, and, and then suddenly the outline of his face would be there. She even has a picture of it on her cell phone, and it's, you know, unmistakably Charlie. So um, I think it's it's really cool for us to be open to realizing that uh, just because they're not here in the physical doesn't mean that the communication with them stops.
2: Yeah, it definitely is, uh, is amazing how they go ahead and still manage to communicate with us and let us know, hey, you know, we're still here.
4: Mhm mhm, and something in in addition to the electrical things that that happen um my my own experience ever since I was a child was also being able to just see people in spirit um, and in California, it was my first visit to uh to a new dentist, and um the hygienist was just making conversation as she was getting ready to clean my teeth and and she said, well, what do you do? And I thought, oh, go for it. So I said, well, I'm I'm a writer, and uh, I'm also an intuitive consultant. And she kind of rolled her eyes, and she said, well, then where's that box of stuff I'm supposed to send to my sister? She was being a little sarcastic, and, and I just said, well, it's under the sink. And she looked at me kind of funny. And, and then a little bit later, she was talking about her late grandmother, and I said, well, she's standing right next to you, and she's smiling and very happy and proud of you, and she's wearing a pink suit and pearls. And the hygienist said, well, <laughs> I know that's not true because uh, my grandmother never wore anything like that. And meanwhile, the grandmother yeah, I could see her quite clearly, was standing there smiling and waving. And uh, a few days later, I got a call at home from the hygienist, and she sounded a little frightened. And she said that she and her husband had looked uh, under all the sinks in their house, and they had found the box of stuff for her sister under one of the sinks and then she said that her mother had reminded her that her grandmother had worn a pink suit and pearls to the hygienist's wedding and was also buried in that outfit. And so um, it's it's kind of, I think, beautiful how they show up to kind of give us information to share with people to, to help prove to them that that life doesn't cease to exist. People don't just disappear. They They don't. Stop being part of our lives when we've loved someone. They're always in our hearts. They're always there and they're always accessible as long as we're open to um, being able to see them.
2: Yeah. And um, I even, normally I don't communicate um, with spirits over the airwaves. So I had a guest on one night uh, last week and, you know, they had uh, one of the callers who's in our chat room uh, received a message and I was able to go ahead and see, you know, um, see her dad. So I continued with the reading a little bit in a chat room. And it was interesting how, I guess to go ahead and give her more confirmation, he got a little personal. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, okay, how do I get this across? And, you know, so I, you know, did a private messaging chat so no one else would hear it. And uh, we've since then talked about it. And come to find out he was like, you know, um, he's like, um, I know what she did two days ago with a certain someone, and how you know what were you thinking? Come to find out, she had a little rendezvous with an ex of hers that her dad did not like to begin with. Uh oh. And she's like, "Yeah, that's exactly what he would have said." It's like, "What the heck were you thinking?" And it's like, I'm like, okay, they do get a little personal sometimes, and it's like,
4: uh huh. Uh-huh. But it's
2: just enough to give the confirmation. It's like, how the heck would you have known that?
4: Exactly. Exactly. Because sometimes that's all the people need, just just um, a, a little <laughs> surprising something like that. Yeah. Uh, that, that proves that we don't just cease to exist. I had an interesting reading um, a couple weeks ago with a woman from the Chicago area And her mother had uh, crossed over at the end of last year, and she was wondering if her mother was around at all. And normally, especially when a parent has just recently crossed over, they're very interested in reassuring their loved one that they're fine. You know, they're out of pain, they're comfortable, um, everything is fine, and and lots of times they'll show me themselves like they're in a meadow holding flowers or just some kind of peaceful, idyllic thing that'll reassure them. And instead, this woman's mother was standing in front of me. She was very agitated. She was shaking her finger in my face, and she was saying that I had to tell her daughter that she could not continue to sweep this under the rug, she could not ignore this and pretend this would go away. It was time to just act on this and and she was not just going to stand by and let her daughter continue to do this and And I was so surprised because I had never had someone who had recently crossed over be that agitated and um you know part of our our ethical code, you know as you know is we can't edit things I mean we have to share what we get. And so I started to tell the woman this, and she knew immediately what I was talking about. Um, her father was horribly abusive, and she remembers even as a child of like six, when her father came home and stormed in the door, she went running out the back door to go get help because the father was going to start to beat up the mother and then beat her up, and, and it was just a horribly abusive situation. And um He had mellowed out a little bit as he'd gotten older. He was in his 90s at this point. Uh, But after her mother died, he started to become abusive again to this woman and was not letting anyone else... In his house, he and um, her mom had lived in the same subdivision but in a different house, and he wasn't letting anyone else get groceries or sh- or uh, clean the house or anything. She had to come over every day before work and every day after work, and he was just totally, um, you know, brutalizing her and taking over her life again since her mother had died. And the mother was pretty much telling the woman, do not let this happen, you know. Do not let him do this to you, Um put him in an assisted living facility but do not do this with your life and um and that's exactly what the woman needed to hear so uh you know it was her mother talking from beyond the grave just saying you know maybe this had been her karma to deal with this kind of abusive situation but it was not the daughters to you know any longer endure that so um i i just find it interesting that the um the personality doesn't even change have you discovered that too in the work that you do
2: oh yes um i've even had uh another one that sticks out of my mind is when um at a private reading and somebody was like well you know i want to know if someone so has a message for me mm-hmm. and i looked at them and i said well um i don't know how to tell you this but the only thing i'm getting is i didn't want to talk to you when i was alive why the hell would i want to talk to you now <laughs> They did, they did the same thing you're doing now. They just started laughing. I'm like, "Yep, that's them. All need to know." I'm well, like, "Okay."
4: <laughs> well, at, at this same dentist office, I mean, word got around. The hygienist was telling everyone what um, what had happened, you know, with her grandmother and, and me and all that when I was there. And so the next time I was there, the dentist himself who was known as this holistic dentist. He um you know did all the latest organic things in dental care and all that. And um he said, "Well, I I heard that um you and Bonnie had an interesting time. Do you is there anyone here talking to me?" And uh, and I said, "Well, there's uh, a man here who's who's not terribly old and he's telling you that you need more golf magazines in the waiting room." And I described him, and the dentist kind of did a double-take, and it turns out this was a very good friend of his who had recently crossed over, and this man was such an avid golfer that he even had his golf clubs buried with him. And uh, I said, "Well, uh, he's telling me to ask you about the red sports car and the cigars." And the doctor immediately went over and shut the door to the room. And he said, "No one knows that I smoke cigars, and no one knows about my red sports car. They—they they know I have a hybrid." And and uh, you know, and and he was—he said, "Larry's just you know spilling all my secrets." And and we were both kind of laughing about it too, though, because um, that proves that dead men do tell tales, you know. <laughs> But he he was rather horrified that anyone else in his office would know that he was smoking cigars and driving a spiffy red sports car when uh, he was out of, uh, uh, you know, just away from his his staff in his office. But I thought that was kind of funny.
2: Uh, how about if we start taking a couple of calls here and see if we have any spirits that want to come through tonight? Sounds good. All right, and then we'll go ahead and, and ask you some more questions to get to know more about you.
4: Already. Thank you.
2: Ericode 954, you're on the air.
7: Hi. I'm enjoying the show very much, and um, I've learned some very uh, good information tonight from you. Thank you. And I'm I'm really uh, glad to get on. Um, I just wondered if uh, there was any um, messages uh, from my loved ones tonight. I, there was a recent passing in the last month, and um, I just wonder what you pick up for me. Well,
4: the, um, hi, Erica. Thanks uh, so much for calling and for the kind words. And what, I, what I'm seeing is actually a young boy, and it doesn't look like it's from this time period it looks like it's more from like the the 50s or 60s as far as like what he's wearing and all that um young how what age would that be i'm thinking probably maybe six or seven I
7: i can't relate to that i don't know
4: because sometimes what happens and and michael maybe this happens for you too is sometimes people will show themselves to us at a certain age, you know, even though maybe they crossed over when they were decades older than that, they'll they'll come back during a time that was particularly, um, you know, happy for them or significant for them. Mm-hmm. But the the person who crossed over was was it uh, a male? No. Oh, okay. I'm still getting this little boy. Um, you get a like name a,
7: or an initial?
4: Uh, I'm getting an A name. Um, Andrew, Arthur, something like that?
7: Not that I'm aware of or that I could relate to at this time.
4: Okay. Well, it'll be interesting when you talk to some people to see um who that is because he's not going away. Normally, um you know, when when someone is acknowledged hmm. they'll they'll disappear then and, and someone else might come in. But but this little guy is is not going away. Um Hey. Hmm.
7: Unless he belongs to a friend of mine, or you know something like that, and they're trying to get through.
4: It feels like it's a relative of yours. Um,
7: I have no idea.
4: Maybe like an uncle.
7: And and what what age group uh, would he pass at?
4: Well, he's showing him himself to me. Um, Young, um, but that uh, he was young, like in in the fifties or the sixties. Um, so right now he'd probably be uh, in late forties, early fifties.
7: Hmm. I just can't place it.
4: Hmm. Okay, Michael, are you picking up anything about the, either the boy or or the the woman who's passed in her life?
2: Uh, no, I'm not picking anything up at the moment either.
4: Okay. Hmm. But this this little boy is saying something about um about a car. So I'm thinking that as you talk to people you might find out about someone who um was in a in a car accident. Um and it's it's not clear to me yet if they were um, uh, hit by a car then and they died when they were that age or um, if they're just showing me that age and they were in a car accident um, more recently and they would have been in their, their 40s or 50s. But this is um, there's something very important about this one. So
7: hmm.
4: it'll be interesting for you to talk to other family members and, and kind of maybe piece that one together.
7: There was a young man uh, that was a close friend of um, mine that there uh, was a woman who lost her son in a car accident uh, about 20 years ago, but he passed around 17, but uh, the connection with the A doesn't
4: um, correspond with that. Hmm. So not a first name or a last name that corresponds with the A? No. Okay.
2: How about a nickname?
7: Not to my knowledge. Mm-mm.
4: Well, it'll be interesting because this—it's—I'm—I'm I'm just feeling very strongly that that um, you're going to find out who this is, and
7: um, I'll ask relatives and see if they come up with anything.
4: Yeah, yeah, but it's a—it's a very sweet, sweet boy, and um, just kind of expressing love and guidance, and and almost that—you um, know—he's around you to help you, kind of keep that childlike sense of wonder and discovery and all that it's it's a very sweet presence around you so um yeah it'll it'll be fun to find out who that is actually
7: uh if i if i give you uh who i want to talk to or a name would that help at all in connecting
4: oh we can try it sure
7: um anything from uh alice or joan
4: The, the feeling that I'm getting with Alice is she was either literally a teacher or was in a position where where she influenced um, young people significantly. Well, um,
7: she wasn't a teacher, but um, yeah, she uh, she helped a lot of people and she was a guiding force in a lot of ways.
4: Okay, cool. Because I was seeing her as like a like a, a catalyst or a mentor or something, you know, especially mm-hmm. with with younger people. Yeah. Um and uh, uh Did she travel a lot?
7: No, not really.
4: Cuz I'm I'm feeling almost like um jeez, almost like an international energy no, around her. Not at all. Or did she speak another language?
7: No, uh her mother did.
4: Okay. Cuz I'm I'm just feeling like a like a very strong international feel um around her and so it would be a thing i think where she was very um interested in in her heritage or her culture and um mm-hmm. and embrace that and had like a, a pride about that and encourage that in other people too you know to be right. proud of who they were and where they came from
7: right but she she didn't like to travel overseas I mean, she she did a little bit of traveling but she wasn't one that liked to go to foreign countries
4: Okay. Well then that could also be what I was seeing as, as just being representative of being, you know, proud proud of your roots and um and embracing that and um and just having a richer life because you um you know, you you accepted all of yourself. You didn't try to, you know, blend in and, and be what you thought other people wanted you to be, but just to embrace who you were. Would
7: she be coming through with any messages for me to uh guide me at this time?
4: that's what i'm I'm trying to tune in um she's showing me books um make... do you do you like to write
7: uh i did I've done some writing yes,
4: okay. and I've
7: worked with books i'm I'm very much connected with books.
4: Okay. Well, that's what she's showing me, and she's she's kind of, like, smiling and laughing, so it's almost like there's some kind of an inside joke that the two of you share about that. Um, and um, just generally being very, very supportive of you, and, um, like, I'm, I'm getting an image now, the two of you, like, sitting at, at a table, just you know, having a cup of tea and laughing and chatting and all that. And it's almost like she's really encouraging you to reach out to her, you know, and and to realize, like like Michael and I were talking about, that there really is no big line of demarcation between people who are in a physical body and people who are not. And so, uh, sweet little things like um, like on her birthday, having like a you know a little pink rosebud there to honor oh, her. Or do all those
7: things, yeah. Mhm.
4: Perfect. Okay. As much so,
7: I every holiday I put something by the picture to resonate with the holiday.
4: Well, it's like she's letting me know that she really appreciates that and, and that you're really as close as the, the next flower. Of tea, you know? Yeah.
7: That's a flower today, a gardenia, which is her favorite, um, just started. They're starting to bloom now on my patio, and I I bring them in every so often when they bloom and put them in a little vase by um, my parents' pictures.
4: Mm-hmm. Well she's totally loving that and and she's saying, "You know, let's have a cup of tea, <laughs> so that's
7: exactly what I've got next to me right now.
4: That's very well. she's right there with you.
7: I made myself a cup of tea, which I frequently do in the evening,
4: <laughs> Well, she's right there with you and and it's very Good. sweet and and um." Something that I do a lot is if I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm doing a session or I have a question about something, and uh, I I might just say, like, to my my brother who crossed over, he was an attorney, he crossed over a few years ago, or um, to my husband who we've been talking about this evening, and I'll just kind of say to them, hey, you know, what do you suggest I do here? And she's saying, do that with her you know, because she's she's willing to, you know, help you uh, figure things out. She'll kind of make funny things happen, too, to make you laugh. She oh, yeah.
7: I've, I've had some strange occurrences. Uh, one in particular, <clears throat> I always think about it on St. Patrick's Day because I've never seen uh, four-leaf clovers growing anywhere in Florida, and mm-hmm. I have a little garden outside my door, and... Mm-hmm. um had passed that year in December right before Christmas and I went outside and I was um, watering my plants and there was a small area where there was a grouping and I said, this can't be. This cannot <laughs> be. I've never seen this. And I looked down and I said, oh, they're just little three, three uh, leaf clovers. But when I pulled it out, it was a four-leaf clover and there were a group of them. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe this, and I ran and showed my neighbor. I actually kept them and I pressed them. And after that bunch had uh, gone, another none of them came up ever again. It's mm-hmm. never happened since. Mm-hmm. But it was just that because that was a special time that we celebrated a lot, going to parades and doing things. We did, I have to say, we did go to a lot of cultural things of our heritage and other heritages Mm -hmm. so maybe that's where it came in
4: yeah that that would make sense Then the whole international feeling that i was getting with her
7: right we celebrated many of the cultures because uh we like we like cultural events so Mm -hmm. that maybe is what you're picking up
4: Mm -hmm. and and i'm just feeling like a great sense of sense of humor, almost like a mischievousness with her, which would totally explain the the, the mysterious patch uh-huh. of Harvey Clovers.
7: Yeah, she so. would do little funny things, and little funny things would pop up, and sometimes uh, her name would just suddenly keep coming up on TV, or I'll open up the paper, and it, it would be there in big letters.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: And mm-hmm. Um, very strange things would, would occur, and um, one time I was going in the supermarket and there was an elderly woman who was just kind of hanging onto the rail. She must come out of the hospital. And whoever was with her, daughter or otherwise, um, went to get the car but left her kind of, uh, you know, for herself there for a while. And I was getting frustrated and I almost went over to her to assist her and uh, then the girl came. But uh, next to her... Was a mailbox, and on the side of the mailbox, in big letters, it said, "Don't forget me." Mm. And I I just wept. I wept through mm. my whole shopping trip. I, it just hit me so hard, and I had goosebumps. And mm-hmm. I never noticed that before. Mm. I never saw that on that post. Where did that come from? You know, was <laughs> the connection? And it it, it, it just hit, I had to sit down. It was just so overwhelming. That I was shown this elderly woman and, and the compassion I was feeling, and then this message came through.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: It was, I think uh, that's
4: absolutely beautiful.
7: It was a really a wow, you know. But, but
4: I, I I really appreciate you sharing your experiences because it's so important to to let people know that when we love someone, when we have that kind of a connection, mm-hmm. and when we're not afraid of, of
7: oh, no. the fact... encourage it. I have always encouraged it, because we had a very strong bond uh, when she was alive, and she um, went through an awful lot at her, at her last days, the last two years of her life. And um, I was with her um, almost to the end. All, one day... Too. and um uh, then she passed while I was home but I had a fear of uh, cuz I was on my own handling and I didn't have any help and I was afraid I would totally go into a collapse if I had to be with her when she passed mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else went through that I I don't know I I say sometimes like maybe I wasn't brave enough you know but I prayed every day in the hospital in the uh, chapel to have strength, but I was afraid I couldn't bear that, that I would just totally collapse. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I was notified on the phone the next morning at home.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: I was still in bed.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: It was almost like that was arranged.
4: Yeah. I, I I I do feel it was, and I think that's kind of why the experiences that you've been having are, are really kind of funny, you know, because yeah. she's... She was a very funny, happy person, and well, happy how, yeah. be happy. Yeah, Just, that's how she wants you to be. She doesn't want you to be, you know, mournful or or to feel that there's any separation. So I, how how beautiful that that she's showing you this kind of still right. this sense of wonder and excitement and and humor, and how wonderful that you're open to receiving it. And, I mean, uh, there's,
7: there's always been a little bit of guilt there, you know, but um, why?
4: Because you weren't there when she crossed.
7: Exactly, right. but no, And they but wanted me to put her in a you hospital. Were there, you hospital. were there when it mattered. But I was the only daughter, and my dad passed first the same year. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was handling the whole thing for two years, seven days a week. And uh, I was afraid that I was the next one, and I wasn't going to make it until their passing. That's how I felt. My energies were so low. But um, I was grateful I, I I made it through to help them. I felt that was my mission.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: But um, you know, I still had you know the feeling like, oh, why couldn't I have been there to hold her hand and stayed overnight and and all that. But uh, maybe we all have different feelings about that. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had to go on. I knew I couldn't. I knew I couldn't crash. If you know what I mean.
4: Oh, absolutely. But she's she's just kind of like waving her hand like she's impatient. She doesn't want to hear that from you anymore because yeah. she's saying, you know, what I said before, that you were there when it mattered. And um, and so to get over yourself and yeah. stop reproaching yourself and, right. and keep looking for more more funny, happy little miraculous coincidences that just keep showing how much the love that you shared is still there. Right. and she's she's enjoying her tea with you, and she loves the flowers and mm-hmm. um well, and she's
7: I have your book because i i'm just i'm fascinated too uh, and I learned something tonight that I didn't know about the hospice and all that and um i I believe they had my mother on doses of morphine, but um it wasn't um like she didn't go in the hospice, but it was like um they were keeping. Keeping her going as long as they could, and that was making her comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I suppose it was the same type of situation.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: I'm not sure. But um, in, in any case, I, I want to read your book because I find it, it uh, remarkable, and it was wonderful the bond you had with your late husband and yeah, how you, you. Help, helped him, too. It's wonderful.
4: Well, thank you so much for the kind words and the The other thing is they don't want to scare us once they cross over, but they do want us to know that they're they're very much with us, and frequently, I will feel like a warm hand on my shoulder when there's no one there and And I will feel him very have felt, me.
7: yeah, the morning she passed, I mm-hmm. felt a presence almost as if her t- her hand touched my mm-hmm. thigh as mm-hmm. I was lying in bed. Mm-hmm. And it was a feeling like I was there, and it was like our secret, like nobody knew she had passed except her and I.
1: Mm-hmm. And
7: until I shared the news, till I got the courage to share the news, there was nobody else around me. There was no family with me. And it was like our secret, and she was letting me know she was there with me. hmm it was a strange feeling, but um I felt like, you know, she was then a part of me, that her spirit entered my body and was still with me. That's the feeling I got.
4: See, that is such a beautiful thing that you just said. Did did you by any chance see the movie Avatar?
7: No, and you know why I didn't see that? Um, I, I'm not particularly science fiction oriented, but I heard a gentleman on television or radio, and I don't know why he said this, but he felt that it was a very harmful movie that hmm. it affect you on subliminal levels that would not be good for you, and I don't know why he felt that way.
4: Why? Hmm. So I... Well, want- I- I, I didn't feel that way because something that you said made me think of that movie, too, the, really? where you felt that she kind of, um, like, united with you and came together yes. with you when she crossed over. Yes. Because and something that movie that,
7: talks about it, you say?
4: Yeah, something that I feel very, very strongly is, and, and again, getting back to science, quantum physics, you know, nothing woo-woo about I that. I that.
7: That. that,
4: yes. Yeah, that we're all connected. We're all part of, of this universal field.
7: The consciousness. The
4: yeah, or Christ consciousness, if uh, you know, in spiritual terms, but in scientific terms, the universal field is what it's called, where everyone and everything is interconnected. And what I thought was the beautiful thing about the movie Avatar was, it showed that um, very clearly how these these people on this planet were so interconnected with each other on a heart level, and with all the animals and the plants and Ooh, and I, everything. I would like that. Yeah, <laughs> and and I feel that that is um, a, a very uh, accurate way of, of depicting how how we are and that connectedness that we can touch into because that's how we um, can do intuitive readings for people. That's how we can connect with animals. Um can
7: become part of their uh, consciousness and spirit uh, mm-hmm. because now my mother was only able to speak 20 words in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, they had stopped giving her the therapy because she had a stroke. and um, She was only able to do it intuitively, and um, we connected. She was very expressive with her eyes and her hands. And mm-hmm. we, we developed a form of communication between us, and people would think, oh, she's not coherent and all that. I said, don't think for a minute. She is very sharp, and she remains that way. It has not destroyed her thinking capacity, mm-hmm. and and she would let me know by the visual how in tune she was to everything that was going on around her, and she was in a nursing home, and very often they think that because people are there that they are, it's just, oh, they're old and they don't understand and most of them uh, aren't coherent. This was not true. Mm-hmm. And I found out some of the medication were was making her slow to that, and I stopped some of the medication, and she snapped right back
1: mm-hmm.
7: so I, I monitored her situation very closely seven mm-hmm. days a week, so that I knew because I said she the only, like a baby, the only way she had to express her emotions was tears. Or laughter, or getting—if she was upset, she might, you know, get a little emotional—and and I didn't want that suppressed because mm-hmm. that was how she could only way she could communicate. You see, so um, it, it was it was quite a learning experience for me, but we did have our own way, and um, people should realize that when they see people, many of them are still connected. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying?
4: Mm-hmm. No, so, I think it's beautiful that you're sharing that experience because I, I think that can inspire a lot of people to uh, to understand that there is that kind of a connection when you when you have that that heart link with someone, that oh, yeah. love link. That um, there are many ways to communicate, and even when someone's in a coma, when you do that thing where you take the deep breaths and and your intent is to connect with them in a positive, loving way, you can.
7: My mother benefited very much from a Reiki healing, which started the process of um, getting her right side back to function. And I was told by a nurse that there are no miracles she would not recover because mm-hmm. she had such a serious stroke. And I said, I do not believe that. And I never saw the nurse again. Good In for you. Two, two weeks, Her body was functioning. She was walking on a walker in the nursing home two weeks later. Good for you. And the pictures showed that the bleeding had stopped all around the areas that it was progressing, that it was contained in one area. Mm -hmm. And I had prayer chains through my church and and, uh, emails. And right after that, the bleeding stopped
4: never, never, ever doubt the power of prayer, or Absolutely. the power of, of positive intent, because right. that's, that's how miracles happen all the time.
7: Oh, yeah. Well, uh, this has been a wonderful uh, evening of conversation with you, Tina, and I hope I'll hear you again, and uh, I want to read your book and learn more about your experiences, because they're very enlightening to me as well, and I'm well, I'm learning a lot, too, since the passings, and um maybe I need to be writing notes and eventually write a book one day but uh well, I, had, I think
4: that's that's what you're being told yes
7: I <laughs> uh, maybe the book and all that maybe would help somebody else but um it's been quite a roller coaster of my own yeah. life since Well thank the, you so
4: much for calling and sharing your experiences because by more of us talking about these things that are very very real oh, uh, yeah. it, it, it's going to help continue to make it more mainstream and help people understand that, yes, this is the normal way that it's supposed to happen.
7: Right, Life goes on. And I want to thank Michael so much uh, for taking my call.
4: You're very and welcome, there.
7: Have a blessed evening. Thank you, you so much. You do the same. I thank you. Bye. Good night
2: That was some uh, wonderful experiences.
4: Uh, I'm so pleased that she had the the courage, really, to, to share that because, again, these are things that aren't normally talked about in our society. And by her opening up and, and sharing what's happened in her life, too, I think she's given lots of people um, an expanded awareness of, of what's possible that maybe they just hadn't considered before. So thank you very much to her for um, for sharing what her her experiences have been.
2: Oh, I was going to take uh, another caller here. The error code 979 you're on
6: the air
2: hi hi how can we help you
6: um a little nervous um i have a little cousin who's been missing um for a little while now and we have the police keep saying they have leads and they just go nowhere and we don't i'm just trying to see if i can get any help whatsoever
4: Hello. Yes. Yes. I, I was just um, trying to go to level to see. Is this a little girl? Yes. Okay. Um, what part of the country do you live in?
6: Um, Texas.
4: Okay. I. Um, I feel she's alive. I feel. Um, let me go up a minute, uh, and I'll be right back.
6: Okay.
4: I feel she's she's with somebody that she knows. Was there any kind of a custody dispute with her? No, no,
6: the um. The parents actually live they were they're divorced but they live across the street from each other for the kids okay
4: um, I'm feeling she's south is uh is there any connection to Mexico no there was a um a lead to New Mexico, but it fell
6: through. There was nothing. All the leads that we get Just fall through Um, She just vanished Pretty much I mean literally Out of thin air Vanished Mm -hmm. There's one um, The mother's boyfriend Is the only um, He went from person of interest Into the suspect But Mm -hmm. still nothing Is Has he disappeared also Or he's no he um okay. he's actually still in the area, okay now, keep talking or just wait
4: no, i uh what I would uh, very much like to do is um spend a little bit more time um on this with you uh. Michael, is there some way that we might be able to get her contact information, and I could talk with her some more afterwards?
2: Yeah, if you want to um, email me, uh, you know, in uh, private message, and give me your email address, and I'll go ahead and um, give it to uh, Jonah, and uh, she can go ahead and continue helping you.
4: Okay, I would really very much
6: do that. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of information that, like I said, basically it. They keep saying that they have leads, and then there's mm-hmm. just a stop. It's like they're running into a brick wall.
4: Okay, but I, uh,
6: she's 13.
4: Okay, but just generally, I I feel that she's alive. She's she's basically okay. I feel that she's with somebody that she knows, and that she's south of of where she was living. So. Um, So yeah, I, but I, I would love to go deeper into that and to um, share some more information with you. So if you could go ahead and give Michael your contact information, um, I would love to talk with you about it more in depth. Okay.
2: Yeah, go ahead and do that, and um, you know I'll go ahead and I'll email it to uh, to my guest here tonight, and she'll go ahead and continue helping you.
6: Okay, I would really appreciate it. We need as much help as we can.
4: We're not getting anywhere. Absolutely. No, I would love to help you on that. Okay.
6: Okay,
2: dear. And let us know how everything goes for you. And, um, you know, I'll be... Once you give me that info, I'll go ahead and forward it to her, okay?
6: Okay. I'll send it to you right now.
2: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's hard trying to help find missing people because there's so many um, energies that throw so much off.
4: There really are. And... um I had an experience uh, when I was uh, still kind of undercover with my spiritual ability, and I was uh, a newspaper reporter for the Allentown Morning Call. This was before I'd been promoted to editor. And um, my friends at the paper knew what I did. And um, one of the reporters called me one evening. She was all upset because um, she had a date with this guy, and he didn't show up for the date. And she asked me to go up and see what I could find out and i got this very disturbing picture and i dissolved it away and it came right back and and so i was very upset and and i said to my friend i'm so sorry to tell you this but um the image that i'm getting is that your friend has has been shot he's his body is in the cap of a green truck at a construction site where they're building a bridge and she and i were both in tears and we were thinking oh should we call the police and then we thought well we're both reporters we we can't really do that and and uh, a day or two later, he showed up, and he was fine. He'd been out drinking with friends. And and I I was very horrified that it got such a horrible, horrible image, and it was so wrong. And um, three years later, at that point, I was a television producer in Miami, Florida, and, and my friend was an editor with Time Life Books, and she called me up and, and said that she thought that I should know that they had just discovered the body of her friend and he'd been shot in the cab of a green truck at a construction site where they were building a bridge so it was exactly what happened to him but it was three years before it happened to him and so because of that time space continuum issue i've always been hesitant to work with police on on cases because um you know what you were talking about it's it's hard. There are lots of different energies that come in, and sometimes you're seeing, like, um, like a like a future thing, uh, as opposed to what's happening in in a more linear fashion. But
2: um, let's see if we can help uh, somebody else out with uh, something. We can get a little bit more info on right away for them. Okay. Eric, code three one three. You're on the air.
5: Hi. How are you?
2: Doing great there. How are you?
5: I'm good. I'm um, calling from Detroit. I had, um, now, what's your guest name? I didn't catch your name.
4: Oh, I'm Jonna Ray. I'm the happy medium.
5: Oh, <laughs> hi, Jonna. Okay. Um, hi there. Do you just do past um, people who have crossed over, or do you do general questions?
4: Oh, general questions, too.
5: Okay, so I have a kind of a two-part question. I'll try to make it quick. Um my three-year-old daughter often talks about my grandmother who passed, and she talks. Mm-hmm. She she passed when I was pregnant with her, and she talks about her like she really knows. You know, what I mean, she says things like, "Oh, you're coming to my grandma Lily's house, and she's baking cookies and this and that." And I'm like, "Wow!" And I don't. I never say no. Don't say that. I say, "Really, really? What did Grandma Lily
4: say?" And you know, is is my grandmother visiting her? Uh, absolutely, she is, and and. Kudos to you that that you are not just trying to shut her down, and oh, instead, no, no, no. yeah, good for you, because this this little girl is, is uh, just naturally a healer. She's very very creative, and and a very very happy little person. And absolutely, you know, her grandmother is is visiting her and encouraging her, and it's a beautiful thing. And she's so lucky to have a mom who is tuned in like you are.
5: Yeah, I always, and I always say, tell Grandma Lily I said hi, because I don't necessarily get, um, you know, things that I can really put my hand on and say, oh, that's my grandmother, like, smells or anything. But if she's visiting my daughter, then that's the same thing. So I always tell her, tell Grandma Lily I said hi and give her a kiss <laughs> for me and tell her, you know, and she's like, okay. And she's says, we're going to Grandma Lily's house and the cookies are almost ready. And I'm like, wow, her and Grandma Lily are just having a good old time. <laughs> like every day, every day she's talking about Grandma Lily. So, I, you know. You know, it's good that Grandma Lily's still hanging around because, she, like I said, she passed when I was pregnant, and it kind of mm-hmm. saddened me. Even though I understand, you know, the spirit, she probably knew her before she got here. But I'm like, oh, Grandma Lily, you're going to miss the baby, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, But she's hanging out real heavy. But And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask about my dad. My dad died last year, and she used to talk about him a little bit, like maybe three or four or five months ago. He passed in June of last mm-hmm. year, but now she doesn't talk about him so much.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I don't know
4: if he's not coming around, or. Well, I I think it, uh, I think when she needs his input or his support, um, he will be there. But I, um, so it's not a thing where he just will never come around again. But it's it's just, uh, you know, when people cross over. My experience from from what my husband told me after he'd been gone for a couple years was, you know, they they have work that they're doing on the other side, too. You know, they can come and spend time with us and give us reassurance and and input when we need it, but um, generally, you know, they're off doing their things, too. So I think bottom line, when this precious little girl really needs his input, you know, he will be there for her, and she would just, you know, know things and, um, you know, make, make, smart decisions based on his input but i i think uh from what she's saying it's like her grandma is is like the the friend really that she can be spending time with every day and and i think it's beautiful that that you are uh, kind of encouraging her to to embrace this experience because it's only going to enrich her life and uh, how wonderful that you're doing that for her
5: yeah, well, I, you know, because I, I feel, you know, she missed Grandma Lily in the physical realm, so I was like, well, she can enjoy her now, you know. And, mm-hmm. I, and she ta- I'm telling you, every day she talks about it, every day. It's just so funny to me. And I'll ask her, well, did you see Grandma Lily today? She says, yes, we're baking hot cookies. You know, it's just so funny to me. <laughs> and I like, oh, well, can I have some cookies? You know, it's just hilarious. And the other question I had was a uh, ex of mine contacted me via email like a week ago, and he mm-hmm. hasn't said anything since he just sent an email. He hasn't talked to me in 3 years mm-hmm. and um he just sent hey and then i said wow what do you want it must be the end of the world i i, I was so shocked to, to get a, anything from him. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's about? Is it good? Is it bad? What what? He hasn't said anything else.
4: I'm um, I, I i'm not seeing anything terribly bad about it but i i'm just seeing that um that's probably not going to be the best use of your time you know it's it's like you have more exciting interesting things to be focusing on
5: mm-hmm.
4: you, but you know what I mean? It's not
5: anything serious or anything real, all that good either. It's just he's just checking to see if I'm still around and stuff like that. Yeah,
4: yeah, and it's like I, I just get the feeling that you, you have more interesting people to be spending time on, you know, so.
5: Um, it's just kind of it, weird because he sent the message and then he didn't say anything else. What's that about? That's just weird to me. You know what I mean? He didn't say, hey, how are you? How are the kids? How's the family? I was mm-hmm. just checking on He says, hey.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's just kind of testing the waters. I get the feeling that he just had um, probably not a real pleasant breakup, and he's thinking, "Oh my gosh, no one cares about me. No one, uh, no one loves me." And and then he's wondering, "Well, I wonder if she does." <laughs> so. Um, and I do. I, I, I
5: mean, I do, but I, I don't mm-hmm. know if I, I I spend any great deal of time on it. But I, you know, I'm, I I care about him as a person. I don't want him to be, you know. But yeah. it's just funny, like you waited three years, you did you couldn't check on me in three years. Like, are you serious?
4: Yeah, see, that's that's why I'm feeling it's more of like a rebound type of thing. And he's, um, yeah, you know, you deserve to just really be wooed. You know, you deserve to be um, cherished and and have someone just really, um, you know, interested in in all the things. That that you are, you know, and yeah, as, as opposed Is there anything to anything I can do to help
5: that process along.
4: <laughs> <I>
5: don't, <laughs> men don't men do not approach me. I don't meet men. It's just funny. I don't. I, I'm fairly good looking. I'm fairly intelligent. I, I don't know what the, I don't know. I just men don't, and that's what I hate. Because then when he comes along, now I'll probably toy with him a little bit and waste time and i know it's a waste of time but
4: it's something it is a waste be- of time no that's that's right. not that's not the, the thing at all and one thing that i'm seeing that you need to do it's like you're so tuned in to um you know to your daughter and and to other people in your life and you're really not um uh, stopping and thinking about well what would i like to do you know where would i like to go what what kind of movie would i like to go see you know it's like you're always kind of Sacrificing what what you might want to do in uh, to take care of somebody somebody else, and I think when you start like going to the concerts that you like and doing the things that you like doing, um, you're just gonna start finding people who are resonating with you. Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, but it's kind of difficult. It's not real difficult. To, I guess I could do it by myself, but it's more fun when you do it with somebody. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah,
4: well, a- even e- even going someplace with girlfriends, you know, and, and just just going to the places that you like to go, and, and that's where you're going to be um, meeting the guys that turn out to be really interesting, fun people, because you're already going to have some things in common, since you'll be meeting them in a place that you want to go to. But, but I just right. get the feeling that you've always kind of put yourself at the end of the list, and and um, as a result, the kind of guys that you would end up with or, or not even... You know, not even meet a guy, would be because you're not um, really being authentic with who you are. Right. So energetically, you're not putting out that vibe that here's who I am. Come discover me and be amazed, you know. So so I would start playing with that a little bit and have fun with that. Because right. I already well, like the person that you are. you are. You're encouraging your... Your daughter to be who she is, and so give yourself that same, you know, loving, compassionate gift, and I think you will be thrilled with the, uh, the energy that you start putting out, and uh, and the people that that wonderful new energy starts attracting to you. Right. Because I don't okay. see you being alone for forever. I I see, you know, some some pretty cool uh, males of the species showing up, and. um
5: is that soon? Do you see
4: them popping up soon? <laughs> well, that kind of depends on you. It's like when are you going to start being good to yourself? I just see this big smile on your face, and and um, I see you just loving life and, and being happy. And, and that starts with, you know, doing the things that, that you want to do, you know, independent of what you think anybody else expects you to do or needs you to do, but just what you want to do for you sometimes, too. And then that's when this is going to happen. So is... As far as you're saying, how how long is it going to take before I meet this guy? Well, my dear, I think that is up to you.
5: <laughs> All right. Well, I've heard it get busy. Well, you know, it's the, the recession and everything that's going on, money is so tight. It's hard to do things. It's everybody I know where, you know, I haven't been able to find work. My, I own a small business, but it's just so tough. And I live in Michigan. You know, it's one of the mm-hmm. hardest hit areas. It's, it's tough. You try to stay close to home. You try not to burn your gas up. It's, you know what I mean? It's kind of
4: I'm not oh, making yeah.
5: excuses, but it's just it's tough right now. I'm trying to be wise, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, i got a son in college. i got my other sons in private school. I'm trying to, you know, manage it all.
4: Mm-hmm. But so, just think about places know. where, you know, you can um, uh, help do, uh, like, even some volunteer things, like maybe help with a river cleanup at some point or, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a... Helping with toys for tots, or collecting stuff for a food bank, or something. Because if you spend even just a teeny bit of time doing something like that, um, and being involved in something that you care about, you're going to start meeting meeting guys who have a big heart too, who are compassionate and um, thinking about more than just themselves. And um, I I see you meeting some. Uh, a couple of pretty interesting guys, and you're actually going to have to make a choice, which is going to be a wonderful problem to have.
5: Wow. Yeah. I yeah. Know, uh, a fruit, what did I go to the other day? And it was really exciting, a fruit, fruit growing class, like a, mm-hmm. you know, how to start a fruit garden. And that was fun. Oh, very cool. One of my little girlfriends said, come on, let's go to that. And that was good. But, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm going to try to do more stuff. I said I was going to, but it's just tough without money. So I will try to find stuff, you know.
4: Yeah. Because you can get creative. I mean, even like volunteering to to walk puppies once a month or something like that at a at a humane society near you. I mean, just little right. caring, fun, interesting things. and where you're learning something like that. The the garden thing that you're talking about that's wonderful to go right. check that out. Okay,
5: well I'll keep those kind of things in mind. And thanks for the insight on the on the X. I thought that's
4: what it was. Um, yeah, it is. I'm sorry to say, but you know you you deserve. The best you deserve to be really cherished and appreciated for all the magnificent things that that you are. So yeah, I
5: agree. I agree with you. And he was just uh, I really liked him, but he he just didn't feel the same way, and I had to, we parted ways on that. You know what I mean? And I yeah, I was okay, it was okay. I don't have any hard feelings, but yeah, I just
4: no. You're you're it. a class act, and you treat people with respect, and and you deserve to be treated with respect also. Right. So you right. just you hang in there, woman, because there's good stuff coming your way.
5: I will yeah. do it, and I'm going to go find some classes or something to do with myself.
4: Do that, and do something with music too, because that that's important to you.
5: Music, yeah, I love music. Yeah,
4: yeah. All right, and I'll give keep that precious my little dog, girl a big she, hug.
5: I know I will, and she keeps talking about Grandma Lily. I think that's the funniest thing to me. And Then my eight-year-old looks at me, and he was like, "Wow, she, her, and Grandma Lily do a lot together." <laughs> Because he remembers Grandma Lily because he was around, but she didn't. And it's so funny. It's like he, she talks about Grandma Lily more more than he does. And he actually knew Grandma Lily is hilarious. And she just would say, oh, Grandma Lily's making cookies. And I was like, wow, you guys sure do a lot.
4: Well, it's going to be fun when she starts um, knowing what the recipes are that Grandma Lily used, because I, I see right. that happening too.
5: I'm telling you, and I, I I do encourage her, and I just say, and a friend of mine was here the other day, and she goes, oh, who's Grandma Lily? I was my grandmother died, and she kind of looked at me. I was like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> look here, her and Grandma Lily, because there's no way I could tell her, oh, no. Grandma Lily it didn't tell you that. She would have a fit because she was like, oh, I mean, she just says it kind of matter. It's so funny. Oh, me and Grandma Lily, oh, and if I make her mad, she'll say, and that's why you're not coming to Grandma Lily's house and you're not going to have cookies. And I was like, oh, boy, okay, all right,
4: that's
5: all right. She's my grandma first. You, this just funny. She's, She's only three. She cracks me up. Oh,
4: how grandma funny. Lily's
5: making heart cookies and Grandma Lily's doing this. And my grandma, she wasn't so much a baker, but she was a big cooker. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. Grandma Lee crossed over and started making cookies.
4: <laughs> <laughs> she's expanding her horizons. <laughs> she
5: is, and, and I'm glad. I'm really, I am appreciative that, uh, and I do tell my grandmother that. I was like, I'm glad you came to spend time with her, because when I was at, when she was dying in the hospital, I was like, oh, Grandma, you're going to miss the baby. And I guess she, of course, she heard me. And mm-hmm. she was like, well, let me, you know, she's mm-hmm. hanging around. boy, I'm telling you.
4: Well, it's kind of like a sweet thing that she, uh, a sweet gift that she's giving you too, because she knew that right. that you were sad that she was missing the baby, and and she's making sure that you know. Oh, I'm very much there.
5: <laughs> right. I mean, that girl talks about her every day, and in fact, her middle name is Lily. I named you know her after her, and oh, they oh, just perfect. hang out and have a funny time. They're hilarious. They crack me yeah. up. And I said, oh, well, can you give Grandma Lily hugs for me, please? And she says, yeah, mm-hmm. I will. I was like, oh, okay.
4: Well, that is a very sweet and a very sacred connection there, and and congratulations to you. How wonderful that you're like encouraging that in a in a healthy, sweet way. And um, yeah,
5: and I will always want to do that because you know, as long as Grandma Lily comes to visit her, and I hope she stays with her for her whole life, you know, so she can uh, mm-hmm. you know help her along the way. I will teach her to ask Grandma Lily, "What is she thinking?" You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I need, no, you know, I I help. think that. Go yeah. ahead.
4: No, I was just going to say, I I think that's so sweet and I think it's very, very healthy because then she's realizing, too, that when you love someone, you know, even if you haven't met them, you know, they're, they right. can be a, a very, you know, appreciated and, and fun part of your life.
5: Right. Well, they have they have a ball together. I'm telling you, it's the funniest thing to me. I just smile and, you know, mm-hmm. like I think she doesn't necessarily visit me, per se, you know. But mm-hmm. she visits her, and I am i just crack up. It's just funny. It just cracks mm-hmm. me up. My, and people just look at me like, okay. And she's like, oh, my <laughs> Grandma Lily. And she was trying to take me to Grandma Lily's house.
4: Like, well, I love shouldn't. that story, and and thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's oh, absolutely you're welcome. Precious.
5: And I'll tell the eggs to kick rocks.
4: <laughs> I think that's a good idea.
5: <laughs>
2: okay. Have a great night, there.
5: All right. Bye-bye. Thank
0: you. Bye. bye
2: what oh, interesting um, um, stories tonight being shared with us.
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I love this because um, when, when I was still kind of in the spiritual closet and I was uh, working as a TV news producer here in Asheville back in the early 80s, I um, was asked to do some media training at the North Carolina Association of Psychologists. They were meeting here in town that particular year. And uh, so I agreed that I would uh, teach them how to talk to the media. And before the conference happened, I had a chance to talk to the man who was president of the association. And um, I kind of steered the conversation into what we're talking about now. And um, he came right out and said that, well, his father had died recently, and he was having all these um uh, communications with him, like all these little coincidental things would happen, and and he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that this was absolutely his late father who was connecting with him, and it, it blew me away that someone who was was in a field, and and imagine a psychologist decades ago, you know, talking about anything spiritual or metaphysical. I mean, that just was not done. And here was the man who was president of the organization for the state, and he was quite open about the fact that he was having this connection with his dad. And so I I think it's wonderful that we're just getting more and more open about being able to share our experiences and, and have people realize that this is all very real, you know.
2: Let's see who else we can continue helping here. Before we run out of time tonight. Okay. Area code 705, you're on the air.
3: Oh, hi. How are you?
2: Doing great there. How can we help you?
3: Oh, good. Um, well, I really uh, really enjoyed listening to uh, Jonah Ray and uh, all the conversations that have participated um, because I can really relate with so many of them and um <clears throat> probably the most the most important thing i think that i trying to uh figure out what i was going to say to you guys was um the night my grandmother died i dreamt she died or the day mm-hmm. my grandmother died i dreamt she died mm-hmm. and that was probably 30 years ago now <clears throat> and i didn't i didn't really <clears throat> i it scared the crap out of me to be honest mhm
1: um
3: i didn't um I really was very connected with her. I was a nurse, and uh uh my grandmother owned a nursing home, and as a little girl, I always went to the nursing home and helped the old people and and um i was i was very much um uh, discombobulated, to be perfectly honest, when when she died um, or, you know, when I dreamt she died. I called my mom and I said, Mom, my grandma died last night. And um, I really didn't know where to go with it because, and Mm I, for probably, honestly, uh, for, I'm going to say 25 years, I didn't, I, I kept that under wraps and just lived with that. Uh, well, let, let, it
4: was a terror. well, let me ask you something. When you shared that with your mother, that you dreamt that she had died, and then your mother probably said she died, what was your mother's reaction? Was your mother frightened by well, your – I'm sorry?
3: Well, actually, what happened, <clears throat> uh, my grandmother hadn't died then. Mm-hmm. She died at noon hour that day. So I called mom in the morning. but And it wasn't my mom's – it was not my mom's mom. It was my dad's mom. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I don't really remember the rest of it. To be honest, I just said dream- I had this terrible dream, mm-hmm. and that Grandma died, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then I got a call at noon hour that Grandma died.
4: Mm-hmm. Something that that happens lots of times because I've heard from lots of people. I mean, friends and and then people like you that I meet doing shows like this who have had a similar experience and. And somehow there's a part of them that feels that perhaps they were somehow responsible for this loved one's death. Do you Are you aware of any kind of a, a conscious feeling like that on your part? No, not at all. Okay, good. No.
3: She was like, Grandma was like 90, 95 years old.
1: Mm-hmm. So and she had a good she, long
3: life. Well, she had a long life. Mm-hmm. She had a long life. It wasn't that it was really that good, but she um she had had a um, um a fall um, at her um at, actually she had a fall in her apartment and um she uh, fractured her hip and uh or her femur actually it was her femur that she fractured and um anyway she couldn't get around so i mean you know and she'd had a stroke initially that was when she owned the nursing home, she had had a stroke, and um, so she couldn't speak, mm-hmm. and so everything she tried to say, it came out, you know, off, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so I, I mean, I was, I was her granddaughter, and she had like, I don't know, she had like forty grandchildren, and I, because I was the nurse, I was the one that could do it, you know, I, she was the one that she thought I was wonderful, and I was the only one that could look after her because, you know, because I was the nurse. Mm-hmm. And But I was very connected with her. And so I, I just sort of felt that um, the day she died, she came to me to tell me that she was dying. hmm And... Um, and I was... <laughs> Uh, did that frighten you, or had you had any yes. other? Uh, okay. Yeah, it really frightened me. Actually, it really did frighten me at that point in time. Yes.
4: Um, what, it, what part of it was it that frightened you? That that she was able to communicate with you, or that she she did die, or which part of it really was was most upsetting to you?
3: Well, the most upsetting part was the fact that that I dreamt she died, and then she did die and um yeah yeah just just mainly the fact that that i dreamt she died and then she did die and so she had i guess a part of me felt that because she came to me in spirit or be, she came to me and said you know that uh you know her time was done or or whatever and i mean and this is like 25 30 years ago now mhm it's not like yesterday.
1: hmm I
3: mean, it's it's. Um. I know I'm a healer. And um, you're a very good healer. About, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. No, you you and, have and a very. So, and, well, I guess my I guess really okay. So that leads to my second part of the question is that um, I do know. You know, I mean, I don't really want to take credit for my healing abilities, but, um, but I guess I what I really want to know what spirit wants me to to really do. Like I, you know, what what do they see for me, or you know, or what do you see for me that I need to be doing? Because um, I'm really in a not a good, not to say not in a good place, but. I'm really in the out in the left field
4: right now. Mm-hmm. Well, one Let's thing go. I wanted to, oh, I wanted to to check with you, please, was did did you have a question about your um, being able to to sense your grandmother's death or or
3: No, I'm okay with I'm actually okay with my grandmother because I I I should I not I mean I do feel she's in a good place.
4: Oh, she's she's definitely in a good place, and yeah, um, and it's almost like because she trusted you and she knew that that you were a healer and you were close and all that that she could share with you that she was um, that she was leaving. It was really a gift that she gave you. It was a beautiful thing, and it's like you were um, being honored for for having this this ability to be able to connect um, that that she was able to come to you and share that information with you. So in a sense, that was a very sacred gift that she gave you, and I'm I'm just so sorry that in our society it's not really seen that way. And so I, I can understand where it may have, you know, hurt you or bothered you for all these years that you were able to have received that information. Well,
3: actually, to be honest, what happened is um, about... You know, a lot of things have happened in the past, but in the last three years, I took my I, I took my first level of Reiki, mm-hmm. and um, and that basically turned my life around. Mm-hmm. And in in some respects, um, and I and I do believe that it has. So I actually just got my Reiki master's, um, and um, so I know I'm a healer. I know that Absolutely. that is my purpose. In this life
1: mm-hmm.
3: And I know I've done I know I've done some um, Incredible Not really incredible healings But I, because I actually Had a fall about uh, two weeks ago And I'm not very good at healing myself um, Because I really hurt my shoulder And it's not really responding As well as what I would like mm-hmm. uh, But um yeah no i'm 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 very blessed to have i mean i've had so many ups and downs and and uh in the past five years but on the other hand uh, the biggest gift i've had is the healing you know you know to be a master or to get my first level of reiki mm-hmm. and uh and it had it really has helped
4: me tremendously i get the i you have a very, very strong healing energy with you. It's beautiful. And I get the feeling that you are going to be helping people who are either getting ready to cross over or you're going to be helping other people who are suffering from grief, having just recently lost a loved one. And you are in a unique position to be able to um, give them not only Reiki healing energy but your own compassion and understanding of, of the grief that they have. Um, something I was initiated into Reiki by Virginia Samdahl, um, who was the, the very first Occidental Reiki master. You know, this, she initiated me back in 78. And something that she said that has just always stuck in my, in my heart was that the only difference between Christ and us is that Christ was born knowing he was divine and we go to the grave denying that we are. And I think that's a beautiful way of saying that this, um, this powerful energy that flows through us is is incredibly sacred. We just open ourselves up and it comes through, and I'm sure you can feel that, that whenever you're doing Reiki and you're making a commitment and a vow to be of service to, to help others, that just this phenomenal energy flows through you. And I see you using that in, in a powerful, powerful way, not just on yourself, because that's the other thing about Reiki healers. We're supposed to be doing Reiki on ourselves daily, um, but just in being able to help people who are who are in in a state of grief, and be able to help them shift that energy into um, into a feeling of hope. So I, I see so, you doing some major things in that regard. So do you? Okay, so I've been I've
3: been tossing this around and and trying to uh, because I really need to create an income. Mm-hmm. And um, so what I was what I was feeling that I need to do mm-hmm. is to find a uh, to, not find, but to um, have a business that, you know, maybe I go and do services for people that I just, you know, take them shopping, you know, like, I mean, I can do Reiki as well, mm-hmm. um, um, but to promote it initially by, you know, taking them grocery shopping, um, taking them to doctor's appointments, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. Um That's sort of what I. That's what I feel that I um, is maybe my in,
4: basically. For Uh, well, a reason that I really, really like that a lot is with your background as a nurse, you can also be something of a medical advocate for the people that you're working with. Because lots of times when people go to a doctor. Um, they don't really know what questions to ask, and they don't really necessarily understand what the doctor is saying and um With you going in as a nurse working with these people uh think of all the the extra benefit you could provide to them besides just being someone who's helping them with with chores um you know you're also helping them understand exactly what's what's going on in in their world health wise well, the problem is that um I let my license go
3: because mm-hmm. I actually didn't expect to be where I am at this point in my life. Um so I uh, let my nursing license go and in Canada you're not allowed to, you know, you know, you just you cannot offer advice or um you know, you can't you're really in a different uh, situation. So I um I cannot I actually cannot even promote myself as a practitioner of any sort. So, uh, but
4: there's something there's something and and this is something where you would need to like research it and and find out what the legal guidelines would be. But what I'm seeing is that you would be incredibly successful even if the service that you would be offering people would be giving them a list of questions that they should be asking their physician. You know there's there's something about you being some kind of of an advocate or an assistant even in helping them understand how to how to better communicate with their health care providers that you could do that wouldn't be in violation of any kind of licensure and um you'd be providing a phenomenal service to these people so how does that feel to you?
3: Well, I think that the, actually it sort of it resonates pretty good because. My mom is, uh, and actually, my family are probably my worst advocates because they don't believe me. They don't. They think I'm a. They think I'm a quack. Mhm. And uh, even my mom is coming around now because she needs. You know, she needs. Um, she needs help, and uh, she wants company, and so. You know, I mean, I. You know, because I'm a healer by nature. I really do care about the world. I do try to help everybody and i I don't have a mean bone in my body, and i don't and and so i I really take offense to my family thinking I'm a whack job mm-hmm. if you understand well,
4: me well join the crowd I'm sure you end. do I'm sure you do I'm sure you exactly do I mean It thought. was a silly thing.
1: Yeah, well, it
4: started with, um, you know, like growing up, my dad would do the Twilight Zone music when I would talk about this, and then it gradually got to the point where when they would lose something in Pennsylvania, they would call me in California to find out where it was, you know. <laughs> so give them time, okay. give them space. <laughs> but, but please check out this medical advocate thing. There's a, there's a way that you can do that where you wouldn't be in violation of any laws, and you would truly be providing a service that um, – they wouldn't be able to get from from anyone who didn't have the the background that you did so um and absolutely you're a healer and it's it's interesting that you knew that intuitively and went on and and did the you know traditional healing uh training and had that as a career and now you're getting into the complementary therapies and you're exactly where you should be with that and um uh, but but look into the medical advocate thing. Look into, like, working with hospice. Um, you have a real gift there, and you have a lot to offer a lot of people. You're going to make a huge difference for a lot of people.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I truly do care. And, yes, and you do. I, I You know, I have so much empathy for people, and I really, um, yeah. I mean, I go out there and I, I share it with so many people, and uh, and then I start thinking myself I'm like a crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: and, uh, no,
4: that's that's not your voice in your in your head. That's that's your family's voices, and and it's just because they don't truly understand exactly what it is that you're doing yet, but they will, and they will come to you for help, and um, and just know that. So in the meantime, you so can't you can't edit yourself. You have to be who you are. You know.
3: Well. So okay, so one other question then in regards to my business and um I'm trying to come up with a business name. Do I use my own personal name in my in my um business uh you know, to promote this kind of business or do I use sort of a generic name because I don't I've just been tossing it around. Mhm. And uh, so whether I use, you know, my personal name, whether I use, or is that, is that really out there that to, you know, ask something as personal as that? Okay. In a way, a lot of people know me here, mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, it makes it to my advantage. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, if I was to, you know, I, I really see it as more um I see it really expanding, but I I don't know how. And so whether I stick with, a, you know, I don't know, I,
4: I just toss it out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm
4: seeing it's kind of a combination. It's like you're using your name and then you have some kind of a tagline that's something like the, um, you know, the healing. The, center. Uh, yeah, or, or um, you know, integrated health, uh, you know, something along that line.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: integrated healing, because you are combining, you know, even though you're not a licensed nurse right now, still you have that knowledge, you know, and you're combining mm-hmm. that with um, energetic healing. And that's very, very powerful. Well, I agree with you.
3: I yeah. I do, but, I mean, where we live is that, you know, people here in, I, I'm going to say people here in Canada, or a lot of people, they're not. Uh, they're definitely not into. Uh, um, they're not
4: into healing. They, they you know, they poo poo it. They think. Mm-hmm. We're, but that. But that is changing. I mean, like like Mike was talking about at the beginning, like the things that Dr. Oz is is bringing to light now, and the fact that his his own wife is a is a Reiki master and and yeah. they're using Reiki energy. Um, I started a group on LinkedIn, Uh, you know, it's free to join LinkedIn. And I I was kind of told in in meditation that it was important to provide a support group for people who were uh, professionals in all different um, walks of life, including medical professionals, who were using Reiki healing to help people. And so I started this group, and I just called it Reiki Professionals. And right now we have about 1,500 people from 33 nations that are part of this group. And the discussions that we're having are phenomenal about how to use um, traditional health insurance to cover Reiki treatments and how to best explain uh, what Reiki healing energy is to uh, MDs in your area. I mean, just phenomenal information. So um, please... If you don't have a LinkedIn account, um, please start one and, and apply to Reiki professionals, and, and I'll get you in right away. <laughs> and you can have access Help. to these phenomenal discussions that are in the archives, and you might find answers to some of the questions that you have even about how to set up a practice and incorporate Reiki with um, with other modalities and other, other services that you're providing right. to people.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I have another thing that I will add. Um, I I work with a, a lady that's a healer. She uses the pendulum, and uh, she does a lot of past life stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened to her is that she ran the business from her home, and <clears throat> um, her neighbor reported her, and she ended up um, 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 being uh, charged. Uh, the uh, bylaw officer came by her house and said, um, You know, what is it that you do here? And she said, She's a, you know, she's a Reiki. <laughs> she thought it was safe to say she was a Reiki healer. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and uh, she said, Do you touch people? And she said, y- Yes, I do. And uh, she said, Well, you're running a body house. And so huh. she now. So she now has to go to court um because um you know, I mean it's so far fetched um um because she doesn't really touch people like mm-hmm. because she doesn't do a lot of reiki mm-hmm.
4: um
3: she does she works a lot with her pendulum and, and heals a lot of past life stuff, and um anyway, she uh uh was told that she had to remove her bed. And any healing modalities which are her
4: hands. Well <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> Sounds like farewell to arms to me. No, I I, I like, don't like, quite yeah. understand that, but um
3: but that's what we're dealing with here. That um you know she um she's an incredible healer as well she is a reiki uh she's not a master
4: but she has her level 2 mm-hmm. and well uh, when when I'm teaching reiki classes I, I I do talk with with the laws um I do talk with my my students about the laws and um and sometimes the laws don't make a heck of a lot of sense I know in some cases now it's even illegal for teachers to hug their students you know but but something that right. I that I tell my students is, um, you can very effectively do distance Reiki or even have your hands like half a foot above the person that you're working on. So there is actually no physical contact. And the other thing is to become um, ordained through a, a church, because uh, my understanding is that ministers can legally touch people, oh. and so. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So We
2: do that here in Florida too.
4: Yeah. Oh really? Oh, okay. And so I, I think that's something important to take a look at and, and that can help other Reiki healers too avoid the situation that this this other poor woman is going through. Um because Yeah, sometimes she it, thought she was Yeah, sorry. She thought she was she thought she was safe to say
3: that she did Reiki. Mm-hmm. And she had she provided her certificates and whatnot and they said uh you know, they came back and they charged, they they formally are taking her to
4: court. I mm. a so sorry. To, yeah, I am so sorry to hear that. But you know, like like Michael's saying too, uh, sometimes it's better to just go the extra mile and, and become ordained and, and have that legal umbrella helping you too, particularly when your desire is to be a service and um and you want to be able to offer people the option of of having you put your hands directly on them so they can feel that heat um you know coming through and and not be worried about being uh, arrested for for being of service in that way yeah well you know i you know i
3: to be perfectly honest i can i can i know that i can send as much energy um uh, through distance healing uh for myself personally mm-hmm. but i know that not everybody you know is uh as, you know yeah well, as I as wish as more as
4: people me. would would accept the fact that they can do that because we could all be sending a lot of healing to japan and and the rest of the world right now absolutely
3: mhm
4: absolutely i I totally agree with that because uh,
3: yeah i you know i belong uh, to a healing network and uh um and that's the you know i mean the uh the benefits are incredible and and the results, like, so quickly. Um, Mm. um, I mean, I actually had a testimonial from a person that, uh, you know, I I actually, she, it had just happened, she had just fallen on the ice and I said, Mm. I said, I will, you know, I'll pull that out of you and I did, I did it and she said, oh my God, I can't believe it and... (laughs) The next day, she had no pain whatsoever, mm-hmm. and uh, and she was totally fine. So, I mean, I know that was my testament. You know, yeah. that was
4: a testament to me. Yeah. So that I know. How well, powerful. I think that's a beautiful example of exactly what Virginia Simdal was talking about. It's it's like when your desire is to be of service and you're not doubting that you can be, all of us can make miraculous things happen.
3: Yeah, and and the other thing that you had said earlier was about the um um about <clears throat> the animals. And right. uh, I had a I had an experience with a um, um with a um, birds that had been taken out of their nest, the baby birds that were taken mm. out of their nest. Mm-hmm. And my dog um this this really is incredible. Um and I I it was a, from God for sure. That had happened um, There was two babies That the crows were going after them They were on the middle of the road And I went running out And the dog went out And scared the crows off And I went out And picked the two babies up Put them on the grass um, And the next day um, The one baby bird Was in the backyard mm. And um, and Bella My dog was out in the backyard and the the bird, the other birds, they were all swarming her and they were swooping her, and it was like, what the heck is going on? And so I went out and looked, and um, there was this baby bird that had been out in the front yard was in the backyard, and it was close to the water. Mm-hmm. And I um, ended up. Uh, my friend came over at that particular time, and I had said what had happened, and. And uh, so I took the bird and put it out behind the fence because I didn't want Bella to go after it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And she said, and so Joe came and she said, you can't put the bird out there. She said, you have to put it up high. And I said, mm, okay. So then I went out and the bird was still out there. I went and got it and uh, the thing was, uh, and the birds were all swooping around. It, was, it wasn't it was just its mom and dad. It was all the other birds. Like, it's like it takes a village to raise a child. Right, right. And so there was all these birds out there, and my dog is going nuts because she's like, what the heck's going on? Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, so I went and I, I went and got a water, I went and got a dish in the house, and I put water in it. I put the baby bird, it was, I put the baby bird on the dish. I raked it
4: mm-hmm. on the dish,
3: mm-hmm. and... Honest to God, the mother bird came. It, it drank the water. The mother bird came and it fed it, and the the bird flew away. And not, you know, probably within 15 minutes,
4: the baby bird flew away. It flew away. That the is mother, fantastic! Yeah. What a great story. <laughs> It was it was
3: a it was an incredible story. It was like oh my god, I couldn't believe it. It's beautiful. And and I, I, and, oh, go ahead. Well, and, and I'd had a story, you know, when we first moved into the house here, that there was a baby owl sitting out on the window ledge, and we had another Airedale before, and uh, and she was uh, she was poisoned, I think, or we don't really know. But um, I think that's what happened to her. And so Lug used to go out and she would bark at this little owl. I mean, it was just a baby owl sitting on the ledge. It sat there for 24 hours at least. Mm. And, I mean, it was only like two and a half inches high. Oh. And, yeah, and it sat there, and it sat there, and it sat there. And then and I, I can't help but wonder if it didn't have some significance. That, and then finally, it flew away. Mhm. I I mean,
4: I don't know, but I just I don't know. It's well, something weird. I I I love that, and I had an an Al experience. Michael, are we okay time wise? Or
2: uh, we've actually gone we've we've gone over. We're in archives now. Oh, okay. And it was just I hated interrupting. It was such a good you know good conversation that we were going on. So uh, oh, we can continue Michael. on if you want to go.
4: Okay, well, I just wanted to share this owl story because I I love what you were just sharing about the little owl sitting there, like it had a purpose, like it had an intent to be there. Because um, when my late husband and I were visiting an animal preserve outside of Los Angeles, um, this was a very respectful place where all the animals that were brought in there that were injured, uh, if they could be rehabilitated and released back into the wild, they they were. Uh, And... This particular owl that I was looking at was a full-grown owl whose wing had been shattered, and so it couldn't have survived in the wild. So it was sitting there in the branch of a tree, and the entire tree was surrounded with this chicken wire. And um, so, so it couldn't leave because it would not have survived. And I remember thinking at this beautiful owl, looking at its big yellow eyes and thinking at it, I'm so sorry, you're in this cage. And the owl immediately thought right back at me, who among you is not? And uh-huh. and I was just so amazed at the profound wisdom of this owl, saying that each of us has somehow, you know, put ourselves in a cage of some limiting fear or belief or something. And and so I I totally believe that this little owl was of a very high consciousness and and was there to communicate a message to you. And I well um, I love that well, story.
3: What what I will what I will tell you is that what happened um I mean that was my that was really my very first we moved into this house and um um we had just we had just renovated the you know the entire up floor you know upper main floor sorry mm-hmm. I'm so nervous <laughs> anyway <laughs> Because I I waited and I waited and I waited, and I thought, oh, I'm not even going to get on there. <laughs> anyway, because I had all these things I wanted to talk about, and it was like, oh, my God. But the owl story, that was, like, that was absolutely incredible. It was this baby little owl. It was, like, only, I don't even know, two inches, maybe two and a half inches high, and this little head turning around. And it was like, and Moog used to go out, and she would bark at it, and, and mm-hmm. it was like, go away and leave the baby alone and and then i went to a um, actually um my ex-partner and i we had a we had a business and we closed it and uh um i went to a psychic fair looking um we hadn't closed it at that point in time but we were having a psychic fair i was having a psychic fair because my partner didn't believe in anything like this And so I went to this fair, and this fellow was the psychic was there, and he was blowing his, you know, you know he was the best psychic in Toronto and all that (laughs) stuff. And it was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this woman that was with him, who was phenomenal, um, you know, I said he said he couldn't come that weekend that I needed somebody, and uh, she couldn't come. And I mean, I just wasn't interested in him at all. And uh, anyway, I she said, uh, you know, she does um, she does readings with um, with uh, paint. So you, she takes five different colors of paint. And honest to God, what came out in this reading? Um, she takes a piece of paper and folds it in half. You put mm-hmm. dots of paint on five different dots of paint. And so the pictures that came out was um, an owl, a baby owl in this picture, a lobster. Um, I can't remember what else. But um, but if you really looked at how the colors meshed with one another, um, it was pretty incredible. Hmm.
4: And, there are um, very talented people. And... It's like all the the old prophecies about this is the time when wisdom is supposed to come forth and miracles are supposed to happen. I just love it that we're we're seeing more and more of that you know
3: yeah no i I mean it was like, oh my God, that was when i when I saw the baby owl that just mm-hmm. brought back to me I was telling my friend about it, my friend that had been there when the birds were out in the on the uh, that baby bird that was out there, and the baby flew away. It was, like, absolutely incredible. Mm. And, and then the story about it takes a village to raise a child. I mean, yeah. all those birds, there was, honest to God, there was probably 20 birds out there swooping at Bella, and she didn't mm. even know what the heck was going on. <laughs> and uh, they were just swooping at her and, and because, you know, it was, we had a tiered uh, backyard. Yeah. And well, was um, it-
4: what a gift for you that you personally could experience both of those things, and and how fortunate that you you had the the wisdom really to see it for what it was that these you know you were you were getting your own very special little miracles you know. Well, and, I
3: I agree, Jonah. I, I I agree, but the old and I think that it's that's what I need to keep me pumped because. I have so many naysayers here. I mean, mm-hmm. I really do. I
4: I I have um so many people that think I'm a kook. Mhm. And something so, that I that I have to tell you and and I see this all the time. Sometimes the people who are the quickest to ridicule what we do are the ones who are very very intuitively open themselves and they're having all these experiences that they cannot explain. And um and so that's why they're so quick to to ridicule uh, those of us who, who do have the courage to speak out and say, no, this is real, this is really happening. Because, um, you know, it's it's much easier to do that than to admit that they too are having these kind of experiences. And something that is very sad to me is because our society can be so harsh and judgmental, uh, I have seen many people who turn to alcohol and drugs to kind of drown out the the knowing that they have, you know, the, the images that they see or the voices that they hear, and instead of um, finding ways that they can put protective, like, gold light around them so that they only access this when they want to, you know, that it's not constantly there, instead they try to drown it out with um, with things that are very harmful to them. And it would not surprise me in the least if the people who are the the most adamant uh, about telling you this is ridiculous are the ones that are trying to hide the fact that they themselves are having these exact same experiences. And by you having the courage to share what's going on with you, you're inspiring and educating so many people. And um, and I really thank you for that because I, I think this is the time when when we – have an, a phenomenal opportunity to acknowledge that this is real. And when you have, like Michael was talking about earlier, uh, mainstream physicians like like Andrew Weil and, and Dr. Oz oh, saying, yeah. yes, this is real, um, this is when we can truly start to shift consciousness and help people not only accept it but start to access this ability, and it's going to enrich their lives on every single level. So thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Oh. Well,
3: it uh, it is definitely my pleasure. To be honest, mm-hmm. I I just I feel so uh, I feel so relieved, actually, to be able to have shared that. Because well, I, and I I can
4: absolutely validate it for you and tell you yes, you know it's it's all real and um, and you've done a great service. So so thank you so much. Well, thank you, and, and you keep looking done. for miracles because they're all around you
3: well <laughs> i uh i i guess um no I, I i don't mean i guess i i do know that and mm-hmm. uh, anyway we'll just we'll just keep praying that uh that uh, more miracles uh you know um, are more evident and uh that that I can realize and that we can all realize and that maybe the neighbors and that because that's that's where I, um, you know, I, I I guess where I was coming from um, as well, whether I stay in Collingwood or whether I move to, you know, whether I move to Barrie, that would be another question that, um, you know, because I, I really sort of feel like where I live right now is mm-hmm. is sort of a negative area.
4: Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it seems to be flat.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Well, you, you know what? make it a positive because i i truly believe that darkness is the absence of light and you know evil is the absence of good so by you coming from a place of of being very compassionate and very loving and and looking for miracles and and being of service to people um you you create more uh, more goodness and more light and more love in the world so just follow that different drummer you know that you're hearing and um you know, Thank you that's, for saying that. absolutely. You know, it's like Margaret Mead said. You know, never doubt the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So, by those of us who are this small group of committed people who know this is real, who see how this is, is a positive thing in the world, and um, you know, sticking by our guns yeah, and and sharing our stories, this is what can truly change the world. And well, wait, and wait. we. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, we really need
3: to have the like-minded people help help us to keep us up there because it really is. I don't mean to say it's debilitating, but it is debilitating to have have people that are like, oh, she's like kooky, you know. And I mean, you know, I I I have an issue with that
4: because I'm not kooky.
3: Mm-hmm. I just no, I,
4: but- I just want to help the world. Yeah, and see that's why I called my book Psychic or Psychotic Memoirs of a Happy Medium. Yeah, it's like basing yeah, that up I front. Know. And see that's why what Michael does and uh, is so important because he, you know, creates this forum so that we can share experiences and ideas and and encourage and educate and validate each other, you know, because these things are real and this is slowly 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 becoming more mainstream and um and People like you are helping to make that happen. So, do you so, feel
3: that if I just, you know, stick with my guns and and um, actually, I'm going to get your book as well. Is it is it available? Okay. Yeah, it's on Amazon. No, it's just, on Kindle oh, it's
4: too. On if Amazon? you have a Kindle. No, no, we have Amazon. Okay, yeah, but just go to Amazon.com and look for look for the you know psychic or psychotic memories of a happy medium, oh, yeah. and uh, it'll it'll come up magically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I well, I mean, psychotic, for sure, that'll, uh, yeah. Um One of my best friends is a psychologist. I check in with her on, a, like, a daily basis. <laughs> okay, I'm not crazy, right? No, no, you're not.
3: <laughs> well, but, you know, and that's, and that's the beauty of it, because once you, um, uh, I mean, I've been told I'm intuitive, but I probably um, don't necessarily believe it so much myself. I don't. Um, you know, I I don't trust that part of me, mm-hmm. and
4: uh, we'll stop that. So, pardon, stop not trusting it. <laughs> start <No>. trusting it. <laughs> you know, okay. If I,
3: yeah. So if I start trusting it, it's like, um, yeah. Maybe it'll change people. Then
4: you know, it, it'll change me and it'll change them. Exactly. Exactly. And and any time I'm I'm not quite sure, I'll, I'll just say, Okay, God, tell me what to say here. Okay, God, show me what to do here. And I promise you, when um, a teacher said to me one time that the only true prayer is a sincere desire of the heart, and all true prayers are answered. And so knowing that and keeping that in mind, when you're making a sincere request from the heart for guidance in how to say or or do something or how to communicate this or how to stand your ground, you will get exactly. The information that you need right then, and so you know, staying strong in, in your resolve and and being authentic with who you are. Um, All right, that's that's what you got to do. And as long as you're doing that, you're going to be a very happy camper. I promise you.
3: Okay, darling. Okay.
4: <laughs> thank well Thank you so much for calling, and thank
3: you, Michael, for letting me stay on the phone for so long. I do oh, appreciate you're very, it.
2: You're very welcome, dear. And uh, evidently, there was a need for a lot of the information to be shared.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it, you know, I. It's too bad in a way that uh, we weren't still on the air, but maybe it's better we weren't on the air. <laughs> but, well, <they> get,
2: <laughs> Everyone can listen into the archives and and get the end of it. And that's what I told everyone in the chat. I said it's continuing on. So. Yeah, so we can oh. listen to the recording of this. Oh, okay. cool.
3: Okay. All righty. <laughs> All righty, Well, thank you so much. And God you. you
1: both. God bless you too, Thanks dear.
3: Thanks again. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Well, thank you, dear, for staying on and continuing with, uh, with the conversation and, and helping her out and giving her the clarifications she needed to hear
4: well you you totally rock i i'm I'm just so impressed and and thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to people
2: oh, it's my pleasure and thank you and and um uh, you know to let everyone else know who's listening in the archives. go ahead and download the e version it's just as good as the hard copy because uh you know I've been reading what uh what you sent me and it truly is an amazing book.
4: Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. I It was kind of scary totally coming out of the spiritual closet and saying, you know, owning it. You know, yes, I, uh, I'm i John Array and I'm a psychic, you know. But um, I'm hearing from people I don't even know, like the callers that you had tonight. And people are saying, thank you for validating me. You know, this has happened to me my whole life and I never knew if I was nuts or not. And, and thank you for letting me know I'm not. And um so, you know, it's it's like the work that you do. It's it's time for this to come out. It's time for people to own who they are. And and um, miraculous things are, are happening all around, and it's stepping up to the plate. And so thank you for doing everything you do to make that possible.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get you back on the show again real soon.
4: Oh, I look forward to it.
2: Okay, Darrell, totally we'll, we'll talk... Uh, well, so do you, dear. I, I, I have so much fun. I knew today was going to be a wonderful show and just the energies and all. And uh, and I've been talking to uh, that other caller, too, about her missing cousin yes, uh, in I, the chat room. And um, there's a lot of uh, connections that I was getting with her also. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to help her out.
4: Yeah. No, I would love to talk with you about that some more, too. Are we still recording now?
2: Uh, yeah, it's still recording okay. right now.
4: Okay, cool. But I would love to talk with you more about that and um, – See yeah how we, we can help her
2: yeah we definitely can yeah. um yeah we'll get i'll get a hold of you after the show and I'll, I'll make sure you have my phone number and all we can talk more uh during the week
4: that sounds great well thank you so much and, and thank you to everyone listening and and please embrace your magic you know embrace your natural intuitive ability and um be who you came here to be i think yes. you'll be thrilled
2: yes and one uh, last time uh, how do everyone um how can everyone get a hold of you
4: they can uh, get me through my website, happymediumbook.com, and, cool. uh, or get me at uh, johnaray J-O-N-N-A-R-A-E, at happymedium.us.
2: Well, thank you so much, Dave, for joining me tonight, and I look forward to having you back on the show again.
4: Thank you so much, and, and I, I feel your tribe. So absolutely, I, I would be honored to be back.
2: Okay, Dave, we'll talk to you again real soon. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in and she truly is amazing. I mean, here it is, uh, thirty seven minutes after the show officially ended, and uh we're finally um finishing up the show. So, uh don't forget to uh, tune in, uh, you know, Marcus as a favorite, Addis as a friend, and um Tomorrow night, yes, uh, Gail, K- Gail Kirk at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time and the Psychic Twins, Cherry and Linda Jameson, at 10 p.m. Eastern Time for an hour with them. First half-hour conversation, second half-hour, they will be taking your calls. So call in early to get in the queue because time will be limited. So until tomorrow night, everybody, remember, you are loved because God loves you and so do I.